0: Welcome everyone to episode 13 of Recreational Thinking with Yoga Shroud. Our guests today are Lin Yu, Ariana Hout, and Muffy Marico. that right? Just like the
1: country, just spelled totally differently.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Muffy Morocco. So remember that order. It's arbitrary, but it'll be consistent throughout the game. And so starting in that order with Lynn, each of you briefly state where you're Skyping from and approximately one sentence about yourself.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Lynn. I am Skyping from Los Angeles, California. I really love Bugogi, but I accidentally screwed us out of a Bugogi question yesterday. So you guys, you listeners won't be hearing about it. But for good Bugogi, next time you're in
0: LA, hit me up. <laughs> All right,
2: Ar- Ariana. Hi everyone. I'm Ariana. I am also skyping from Los Angeles. There's a little bit of a theme here. I am enjoying mm-hmm. a beautiful spring day. I just took a walk with some appropriate social distancing, and I'm here in my home, not alone. I'm here with my cats, Adelaide and Burrito. All right, Muffy. This is Muffy. I am also
1: skyping in from Los Angeles, California. <laughs> I, we may uh... or may not have picked each other to play against each other. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ladies of LA, ladies who lunch, I am a tutor, a writer, a dog owner, and my dogs are Rocco, Rex, and Bologna Sandwich.
0: All right, so we'll launch into the, the game right away. This first round I call the three R's round. It allows me to reduce, reuse, recycle prior material. I always say these questions serve sort of as a warm-up, but then that makes people think that they're going to be easy. And no, these are actually relatively hard questions. So they're a, a hard warm-up, think of it that way. But they'll be worth a tenth of a point as tiebreakers, if necessary, at the end of the game. And for this round only, you answer as individual. So if the first person the question is directed at misses, it'll go to the second. Then to the third if both of the first two miss. So the further back you are, the less of a direct shot you have at answering. But the more time you have to think and some potential answer to get taken off the table. We'll rotate so each of you gets to answer three questions in first position, three in second, and three in third. And then I'll explain the rules for the rest of the game after this round. And again, just, you know, a brief reminder that the content of the podcast is your thinking process. So I know I said not to ramble, but do share your thought process with the audience or any interesting connections or, you know, any way that you have of making the material interesting. And I'm experimenting now with a new thing where in the chat window, I copy paste the text of the question. So that maybe makes it a little easier for you to follow along. So, yeah, let me know if that is working or not working for you. So we start with question one. We'll begin with Lynn in first position. Mm -hmm. The most recent recipient of the Alfred P. Sloan Prize, given every year at the Sundance Film Festival to a feature film focusing on STEM themes, was The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, based on the life of young Malawian inventor William Kamkwamba. That film marked the feature directorial debut of what Oscar-nominated actor?
1: Oh, I feel like I saw this, but uh, I don't know. I'm going to have to pass this on.
0: Ariana next. Can you all see the question text?
2: Yes. yes. Thank okay. you for doing that. Okay. Future directorial debut of what Oscar nominated actor? No, I don't know this one either. I've shamed
1: Cliff Gallagher, my (laughs) friendship with him,
0: (laughs) and my inability to retrieve this. Do you want to guess? My philosophy is always when there's no penalty to guess, and in this Mm -hmm. game, there's never Mm -hmm. a penalty for guessing. Always guess. Just want to guess something? Lynn, do you want to make a guess?
3: Mm -mm
0: -mm -mm. No, I really don't know. All right, Uh, Ariana? Um,
2: nominated actor who wouldn't focus on STEM themes. I, oof. I'm gonna guess Octavia Spencer
0: alright good guess not correct Muffy
2: (laughs) alright so
1: sadly I remember this kid being on the Daily Show he built like a big wind thing and it generated power for his town like a windmill thing Um, I don't remember there being a feature film about it I remember the actual boy which is Oscar nominated not Oscar winning so I'm trying to think of someone who's up there but has never won something Um, my mind is only going to like another film set in Africa which is The Last King of Scotland Forrest Whitaker won the Oscar but I will go with james mcavoy because he was in a movie set in africa
0: all right yeah i don't think he's ever been nominated for an oscar well he yeah. should
1: be he's a fine actor <laughs> <laughs> great Fair performance in x
0: yeah so the relatively recent oscar nominee with roots in africa his name is chiwetel Ejiofor.
1: oh, oh, oh. muffy went the wrong way you know Ugh. it doesn't make a lot of Gonna sense pick never pick the white guy <laughs>
0: All right, next question start with Ariana in first position. The short-lived 2018 ABC sitcom Alex Inc., or Alex Incorporated, starred Zach Braff as a protagonist based on the founder of Gimlet Media, Alex Blumberg. Blumberg is also an executive producer on what much more successful 2018 premiering show, which was adapted from one of Gimlet Media's most popular properties?
2: Look at that question. Mm. Blumberg. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know Gimlet Media. I assume it's some kind of relatively recent, you know, production company. Um, A 2018 premiering show. I am going to guess. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, 18. I feel, like, I feel like I should know things that happened less than two full years ago. Uh, a lot of
0: water under the bridge since then, let's admit. 2018
2: 2018 <laughs> show. Uh, oh, I don't think it's right, but I'm going to guess Fleabag.
0: Okay, uh, decent guess. Muffy?
2: All right, so
1: sitcom. Well, it says 2018 premiering show. Doesn't necessarily mean this one, the successful one, is a sitcom. It's just something online. Um, I, oh... Uh, the only thing I, I know this is not even 2018 but it was very popular on the youtube i will say the annoying orange <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know what that is i don't know what that is <laughs> it's about an annoying orange he's got like yeah. a face he's got like, a human face
2: <laughs> that sounds i know thing, it's right? not right but yeah online
0: <laughs> i think we're all, we're all maybe a generation too old to, to be in exactly. that target audience for that <laughs> exactly But uh, Lynn?
1: All right. Alex Inc. It sounds like a kid's show. I'm going to guess something with someone's name in it. Although this is more recent. Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist.
0: Good guesses, everyone. But uh, yeah, so Gimlet Media is basically like a studio for podcasts. And probably Uh, their their most successful narrative podcast. And probably the most successful recent show to be based on a narrative podcast. The rare half-hour drama from Amazon Prime. It was called Homecoming.
2: Oh. is that the one with julia roberts julia roberts yep Yep. wow can we pause for one i'm sorry i need give me one second my apologies the kitten found and was chewing on a thumbtack and i can't have that happening (laughs) oh (laughs) no yeah does
1: not equal snack no
0: Man, homecoming. Gimlet Media, huh? Now we know. Yeah. Uh, Next one starts with Muffy in first position. (laughs) Linda (laughs) Fairstein was scheduled to receive the 2019 Grandmaster Award from the Mystery Writers of America. But that award or that honor was withdrawn over protests related to her handling in her earlier career as a district attorney. (laughs) What controversial case?
1: This one I do know. I remember this. It was the Central Park Five. Oh. She was the DA at the time, and she turned her, later became a crime writer. Central Park Five. Muffy feels good.
3: Well done, oh. Muffy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes, that is correct. The Central Park Jogger or Central Park 5. Anything along those lines? All right, let's start with Lynn in first position for the next one. What 2017 biographical sports drama is the first Hollywood movie to contain a scene specifically crafted to elicit ASMR? Note that its title is not a phrase that could be applied to this particular episode of Recreational Thinking.
1: Note that its title could not be applied to this episode of Recreational Thinking make me think you don't think 2017 you said biographical sports drama so it's not ford versus ferrari guys Um,
3: um
1: there's no asmr in that movie what kind of sport would allow you to whisper or crunch things um or crinkle things or tap things I don't know, Lynn.
3: <laughs> Think about it less. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> tingles anyone listening to this podcast? <laughs> oh, God. 2017 biographical sports drama. And I call myself a screenwriter. I don't, It's like I d- suddenly don't know what a movie is. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna have to pass on this. What a biographical sports drama. What came out in twenty seventeen? That was the Ladybird year. That was that was the Ladybird year. Um that was the Dunkirk year. No ASMR in that, no sports in that either. Um uh, Moonlight. I
2: don't know. I don't
0: know. All right. Uh, <laughs> Ariana? All right. I I have
2: a guess. And Yogesh, thank you, because actually your hint at the end is the thing I think that has tipped me off, where you said that the title of this movie is a phrase that couldn't be applied to this episode of your podcast. I think the movie is Battle of the Sexes, about Billie Jean King and the other guy...
3: Scene. yeah the haircut funny ray
2: mm-hmm. yeah so i i think that might be the movie though i can't i've seen it i saw it in an airplane which is doesn't have the best sound um mm-hmm. i couldn't tell you what scene was meant to evoke asmr
0: though i, I, think, I think yeah i think ASMR. lynn started out the scene yeah uh, yeah because her partner in that is a hairdresser right and there's a scene yeah. where she yeah.
1: okay oh that's funny i didn't know it was intentionally crafted to yeah. do asmr that's cool good for that's that cool.
0: You got it. You cheated me out of my
1: answer, which was going to be the Horse Whisperer. Both of you have a tenth of a point over me now.
0: All right. All right. I think we're on Ariana starting first for the next one. Yes. Okay, so he was implicated in the so-called pop-gun plot that allegedly tried to assassinate King George III, but was more likely trumped up by prosecutors. His organic remains of a former world from 1804 is perhaps the first systematic scientific account of fossils. He was a founding member of the still extant Geological Society of London and authored the first detailed study of gout and the first known observation of a fatally perforated appendix. Who is remembered today not for any of those things, but for a minor 1870 case study of what he termed paralysis agitans
2: huh this is a busy guy Um, (laughs) paralysis agitans sounds like some kind of makes me think some kind of seizure um i mean agitans sounds like agitate which sounds like some sort of shaking and paralysis would be your body is paralyzed um paralysis and a seizure together um (laughs) makes me think of some kind of tick my best guess is tourette
0: Right, that's a good guess, but not correct in this case. Muffy. Oh,
1: heavens, I'm trying to think cuz George George the 3rd, this is, must be earlier in his career cuz King George the 3rd, or no, I mean later in his career. Must have been a young man if you're trying to assassinate King George and then um geology gout appendix and the paralysis i agree with ariana's thinking on the idea of like a seizure or something um obviously sort of a medical man heavens uh who's looking at gout and appendices minor 1870 i, I, I trying to think yeah who has a disease named after them uh i got jeremy bentham because he's ahead. <laughs> Right, isn't he? He's still dead in a box somewhere. I'll say Jeremy Bentham.
0: All right. I don't think he was much of a medical man, but all right. Uh, Lynn?
1: I am going to guess Dr. Gray of Gray's Anatomy, both the textbook and the Shonda Rhimes show.
0: (laughs) I think the Shonda Rhimes show was named after a different doctor. (laughs) (laughs) But uh I mean yeah Ariana was thinking very much along the right lines in terms of who has a disease named after them that has certain kinds of shaking symptoms. This man he was a polymath but today only remembered for something that he didn't think was all that important during his lifetime. His name was James Parkinson.
3: Yeah.
2: Aww. I, that that came to me just now. <laughs> Aww. Yep. That makes more sense with the British or British bent than Tourette, which would be a, a French That's a good guy, one. That's a great question. I might I'm steal sure. it
1: for the future, Yogesh. <laughs> <laughs> Please let me know what night that is and I'll play. <laughs> <laughs> How do I... I
2: still can't see the chat. Can someone... Should I text you the... I mean, because I can see the text and I can copy and paste it. Could I text it over to you, Lynn? Do you want to see it that way? Sure. I got my... Okay, I yeah, thanks. Sure.
0: All right. Starting with Muffy now on question six. So, of the six quote-unquote angels to have walked ten or more times in the Victoria's Secret fashion show, three, unsurprisingly, are from Brazil, though it's perhaps more surprising that Giselle Bundchen isn't one of those three. A fourth, Heidi Klum, is from Germany. The other two were both born and raised in Africa. Name either one of them.
1: Ooh, okay. Tall Glamazon types. <laughs> In their sexy bras. So there's ten angels who have... Six. Six, sorry. Angels who have walked multiple times.
0: Who have walked double-digit numbers of times.
1: Got it. Okay. Um, Heidi Klum, Africa. Who are the big African models? Big... <laughs> I mean, you know, in stature, not just physically. Um, It's... What is her... There's... Oh, heavens. Well, now, first I'm thinking, of, it's not Charlize Theron, though she's very pretty and she's African. There's the woman from... Iman is too old. And the only other... oh. Gotta be some tall, bosomy... Like I'm describing myself. <laughs> uh, no. So let me think. I'm the only the only African model I can think of right now, what is her name? It's Alec Way, I think. I don't think that's it, but
0: I was like Alec Way. All right. Lynn, uh, next.
1: Uh, I want to say... I know Bar-Raphael is Israeli, as Kanye has so poignantly reminded us in the song Click. But uh, I don't know if she was born in Africa, although she is a very famous model. Could be Bar-Raphael. Um, and, oh, God, I don't know if this is racist. I don't know what ethnicity the Hadids are. So oh. could very well be Bella or Gigi Hadid. I don't know what whether to go take a gamble that Bar-Raphael might have been born in Africa. But I'm pretty sure Bar-Raphael is Israeli and probably born in Israel. So I will guess Bella Hadid.
0: All right. Ariana? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh.
1: Guess the other Hadid.
0: You <laughs> <laughs>
2: That that would be, that would be, I could just say the last name. Um, yeah, I, I have to, I have to admit I've never watched the Victoria's Secret special show. Um, I've certainly seen pictures of it with the ladies with their wings and the diamond encrusted lingerie. Um, I don't know any of the famous models. I will go with the other Hadid. Lynn said, the woman. I'll say Gigi, Gigi Hadid. Maybe they're from Egypt.
0: Yeah, we all, we all took our lead from, uh, the inimitable Karen Smith from Mean Girls who pointed out that you can be from Africa and white, um, So both of these uh, these mobs, even though they were born, they were actually both born in South Africa, but they are both extremely light-skinned and blonde. One grew up in South Africa. Her name is Candice Swainpole, and the other grew up in Namibia and is currently married to Adam Levine, and her name is Behati Prinsloo.
1: I've heard Wait, of her. Can someone tell me what ethnicity the Hadid's are? Because this is going to bother me. <laughs> well, I
0: think, I they're, think they're both American. They're American, yeah. but. Uh, I think Palestinian descent, maybe. Mm. Their father okay.
2: is a, their their a Jordanian American uh, of Palestinian origin. Cool. And That's their it. mother is Dutch American. Oh. There you go. Got it. So.
0: Okay, so last cycle of these, starting with Lynn now in first position.
1: All right. All right, All right, let me get a tenth of a point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Whose one and only published novel, Lord Malquist and Mr Moon, was published in 1966 shortly before he began to gain acclaim for work in a different medium?
1: Only novel published in 1966 shortly before he gained acclaim in another medium. So, not known as a novel writer, Lord Malquist and the Moon sounds very weird and experimental.
2: Um I'm going to guess Andy Warhol. Right? Good guess. Uh, Ariana? Um, all right. Lord Malquest and Mr. Moon sounds British to me, though I suppose it could be... Yeah, it sounds it sound a little bit stuffy and British. So if I'm thinking about someone who's...
1: Muffy, you're breathing right into your mic. Sorry. <laughs> it's my ASMR. Oh. Uh
2: 1966 makes you think about the explosion, maybe, of rock and roll gosh I'm gonna say Angus Young from ACDC
0: <laughs> interesting interesting uh, direction to take that in <laughs> Muffy not right <laughs> <laughs> like, like
1: saying you are wrong. <laughs> I'm trying to th- think of what the different medium would be, Lord Malquis and Mr. Moon. I like how alliterative it is. The only thing I sort of, that popped into my mind, 1966 seems it's sort of the cusp before Dr. Seuss gets popular. So I'm going to say Theodore Geisel or Dr. Seuss.
0: Yeah, I guess I can see, because his most famous work wouldn't really be considered novels in that yeah, sense. Like,
1: both. Yeah, like picture But no... <laughs>
0: I was trying to frame it more in terms of a different literary medium. 1966 was right around the time that this man's first successful performed drama became a big hit. And so, uh, yeah, he chose to go into playwriting instead of novel. And that play was called Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead.
2: I've heard of that. Tom Stoppard. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Yogesh, do you know what the book is about, Lord Malkwest and Mister Moon?
0: Vaguely, it, it's it's I sort of read the little publisher's blurb, and it's, nice. it's kind of yeah, hard to, to summarize, but yeah. um, Everyone listening, right.
1: get used to two hours of all of us going, oh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs>
0: And so now to Ariana, the next question. What former correspondent for BBC's The Travel Show owes an enormous debt of gratitude to an accountant named Lisa Kim Ling Kwan? That's
2: it? There's no more? <laughs> uh, former correspondent for the BBC Travel Show. Can you tell the accountant's name again? oh there it is lisa kim what former correspondent for bbc's the travel show come on um huh i this isn't a show i've ever seen um but i maybe it's someone who obviously a correspondent on the show who who somehow was able to get his or her own show or own successful enterprise um i will guess oh gosh i will guess Rick Steves, only in keeping with the travel vein. Yeah,
0: deliberately a lot of potentially helpful information was adapted (laughs) to make it a challenge.
2: Well, that's okay. It's a good challenging question.
0: Alright, Muffy? There's something scratching
1: in my brain here, because the fact that it's an accountant suggests there's some kind of monetary oopsie (laughs) that would have enabled someone to do something former correspondent for the bbc's the travel show so this is some television program you owe a debt of gratitude to an accountant nothing is ringing a bell i'm going to go with that little korean girl who walked in on her bbc dad Um, (laughs) 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 because she's my idol she really she lives life how life should be lived so that's what i will say (laughs)
0: All right, Lynn? Uh,
1: just an announcement for everyone. If you kind of listen to me eating, I'm officially done eating my lunch now, so there will be no more ASMR mouth sounds for you. <laughs> um, so an enormous debt of gratitude to accountant Lisa Kim Ling Kwan. I don't know if this is how rupert murdoch no he's australian um but somehow uncovered a big scoop or story to something i don't know is this maybe how gordon Ramsay somehow got his show uh but i feel like gordon Ramsay didn't start over there right i mean he, or did he start in the uk and then come to the us you know I really don't know but i do know someone else who was screwed over by her accountants and then turned it into a global smash hit and that is Rihanna for the song Bitch Better Have My Money, so I'm guessing
0: <laughs> Rihanna. Yeah, so accountant as a profession was a bit of a red herring. Lisa Kim Linquan was a production accountant on a certain film, and uh, while well, they were still searching for an actor to cast as the leading man, and they were oh, running out of-
3: Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, you, you know What's it now. His name Henry Golding. Yeah, Crazy Rich
1: Asians.
0: Yeah, the film was Crazy Rich Asians, and the actor was named Henry Golding.
1: Accountant?! I thought someone embezzled something or something. (laughs) (laughs) Forgot to carry the two.
0: All right. And now the last question of this round starts with Muffy in first position. Moshidara, a best-selling 2009 Japanese novel that within two years of its publication had been adapted into a manga, an anime series, and a live-action film, tells the story of a high school girl who decides to apply the principles of management guru Peter Drucker to what popular recreational activity?
1: Heavens. (laughs) I say that a lot. I turn into a very shocked Victorian lady when I don't know the answers <laughs> oh, to things. My heavens! My, my stars! I have the vapors. Um, <laughs> de- so it's immensely popular, and it's about a teenage girl. Peter Drucker. It would help if I knew what his management principles were. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Management management guru, Peter Drucker. I'd like to be a guru someday of something. Popular recreational activity. What do Japanese teens do?
0: Um, I will
1: say dancing.
0: Interesting uh, thought, how you might apply Peter Drucker's principles to dancing. I but, love at uh, on. You've you got to run a tight ship when you're performing. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> it's not a democracy. It's a cheerocracy.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: All right, uh, Lynn.
1: So this is not Marie Kondo. Uh, this is, I remember when I was in high school, this 2009 was the end of my high school years. Oh. There was a ridiculously popular anim- manga, excuse me, that a couple of my friends read called Fruit Baskets. And it was about a bunch of girls in high school. So that's not really a recreational activity, but I'm going to guess Fruit Baskets because I at least know that's a manga.
0: Yeah, I've heard that title before, too. I've not quite looked into what it refers to, because I feel like it has to be metaphorical in some sense. But um, all right, uh, Ariana? All
2: right, well, it's not dancing. It's not fruit baskets. They took both my good answers. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know who Peter Drucker is, unfortunately. I suppose any principles of management would be things like always be closing, which doesn't make a lot of sense for <laughs> Um, but I'm going to go the route that Muffy sort of went down and think about a popular recreational activity. And I'm going to say taking selfies.
0: (laughs) Ah, these are all really creative answers (laughs) um, (laughs) in terms of, yeah, like the images they pull up. But um, there are two things that Japan was introduced to by America that they quickly grabbed onto and became so much more enthusiastic about them than Americans are. One would be management fads. The other would be baseball.
2: Uh, Oh my God. God. Of course, that makes a lot of sense. There, I said it, see? That makes a lot of sense.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we'll end that round with Lynn at 0.0, Ariana 0.1, Muffy 0.1. I'm
2: not
1: too far behind, guys. I can see you're not. Really? A surmountable lead, I think.
0: All right. And now we'll get into the first round of the main game, the not all that hard round. So in this round, all successive round these you will get three specialist questions related to your categories and standard caveat, not intended to be a fair or comprehensive test of your knowledge of them, may relate directly or obliquely. And I won't well, you all revealed your categories to each other beforehand. So that's hasn't really matter what I said. I, I
1: looked up Jewish holidays this morning. So oh, I'm nice. fully prepared. And by <laughs> fully prepared, I mean I one of them retained in my head. Well then by you know
2: by the end of the podcast you'll convert. Exactly. <laughs> that was the secret goal of this list.
0: Yeah, there will be, without spoiling too much, there will be a high degree of Hebraic content. So before you can answer your opponents get to work together try and steal the points from you you'll only get a chance to answer for points if your opponents miss if I pass it over to you without telling you if your opponents got it right or wrong just assume they got it wrong for game theory reasons there might be a few bonuses sprinkled in so if you get a question stolen from you you might get another question to answer for half as many points which will be related to the original question not necessarily related to your original category not necessarily the same level of difficulty but yeah those will only be attached to some questions so you may get something stolen from you and not get a bonus so these questions are not all that hard. They'll be worth two points as a steal, one as a specialist, and the points will go to both stealers, even if only one person knew the answer. And we'll start with Ariana and Muffy to steal from Lynn.
2: Ooh. Watch out, you. I'm I got my shaking camera
1: ready.
3: <laughs>
0: All right, here's the question. Now sold as Zespri Green, the Hayward cultivar of a certain fruit is named for Hayward Wright, who succeeded where much better-funded experts over in the U.S. had failed by domesticating it in his home country during the early 20th century. What fruit am I referring to?
3: Hmm,
1: Zespri Green... The Hayward cultivar a certain fruit.
2: Lynn goes first, though, right?
1: No, we steal from her. Yeah, Oh, goes fine. Through, fine. first to so we, and Muffy. We, we collaborate to steal from Lynn. All right. Zespi- okay, so... Which of my expert categories was this?
2: Oh, okay, hold on. Sorry. So the Hayward cultivar of a certain fruit. So green makes me think of something. I mean, it makes me think avocado, but I've never heard it called... I've never heard of a zesty green avocado, right? You've heard of... I've heard of Ha. Yeah. Uh,
1: or But it failed in the U.S.,
2: Better well, who succeeded. All right, so the Hayward, he makes the Hayward cultivar. Right, and he's not in the United States. He's somewhere else. Domesticating in his home country. Okay. So, some what kind else of. What
1: else can we have? There's. You can have a kiwi fruit, it's Chinese gooseberry
2: otherwise. Oh, I like that. Yeah, you could. Yeah, maybe the, the zesty green kiwi. What else? I don't know. Do kiwis have names? I don't know cultivars. I think, so. yeah, I, think, um, I think things have names when you cultivate them and, you know, when you breed something. There's I also. Think, ki- well, there's
1: maybe cantaloupe or honeydew. Yeah.
2: Yeah. or a watermelon yeah. I've gone down the melon route. that's or pink <laughs> <laughs> the outside uh, green that's it's true I kind of like kiwi and Hayward right sounds like it's something that would be British or Australian or Canadian right it's not a let's go with kiwi let's fruit go with kiwi yeah Alright, yeah. So
0: Lynn, you're, you're locking in Kiwi or Kiwi yeah, fruit? Locking Kiwi. <laughs> Alright, yeah. Lynn's category was Asian food in terms of a fruit that originates in Asia, was domesticated by someone in an English speaking country that's not the US. That country of course was New Zealand. It is the Kiwi fruit. <laughs>
1: So how many points did they get? They get uh, <laughs> two points for I'm getting score over here. Oh two points.
0: Yeah, True. so this bonus after what Muffy said this bonus should probably just be a gimme for you. But Kiwi Fruit was brought from Gichang in China to New Zealand by school teacher Isabel Fraser. Its Chinese name was Yang Tao. What was it referred to as in English until the mid twentieth century?
1: Aw, oh, Muffy gave this to me. A Chinese gooseberry. Yep. Yay. Right. Collaborative. True story, <laughs> once I was leaving an Oscar party, kind of drunk, and I stole a kiwi from the Match. fruit bowl on the table, threw it yeah. in my purse, and forgot about it for about three days. I really no. don't recommend <laughs> If you're going to purloin a fruit, don't
2: make it a kiwi, because oh, then you reach no. into your purse
1: you got a squishy furry thing in your purse three days later. At least it gives it a <laughs> decent
3: <about>. smell. <laughs> <Like> a <banana.
1: laughs> it's true. Yeah. But yes, I'd say
2: steal an apple. That's what I, I, the I would say. purloined taste. kiwi. Would be. Don't steal anything kids. That's the actual <laughs> method. <laughs> uh.
0: Next question, Lynn and Muffy, to steal from Ariana. <laughs> the excellent Jewish character, actor Stephen Hill, born Solomon Krakowski, became famous late in life as D.A. Adam Schiff on Law and Order. Earlier, though, many feared that he had destroyed his career after he was fired from a plum lead role on the 60s spy series Mission Impossible because he refused to perform, I apologize for butchering pronunciation, Melaka, M-E-L-A-C-H-A or M-E-L-A-K-H-A. Explain, in terms that a Gentile would understand, what it means to refuse to perform (laughs) Melaka.
1: So, I remember this actor, and I think it was famously, he would not perform, he would not act, he would not work on the day of the Sabbath, which would have been, and because TV shows typically film like Thursday, Friday, he was out for like half of Friday, I believe that's right, so like they worked around it for Law and Order. That makes sense. Um, so Malaka so, is—he refused to perform Malaka. He would, so he, he, would, refused he, to, he refused to refuse to perform while he should otherwise be observing the Sabbath. Sabbath. Okay. So I like right. it. Totally making things up. <laughs> that makes sense to me, though. All right. So yeah. we'll say he refused to perform when he should be observing the Sabbath. We will lock that in.
0: Right. Yeah. Ariana said a good job keeping a poker face. So basically, yeah, he refused to perform ha. <laughs> Or a creative, constructive work or work from one of the 39 categories of Malaka or, you know, however you want to say it. But yeah, that's good enough. All right, bonus for Ariana. So on that topic, Wikipedia lists Harry S. Truman, Colin Powell, Martin Scorsese, and Elvis Presley, among others, as among those who at some point in their life performed melaka on behalf of a Jewish person to avoid violating halakha, or Jewish law. What is the common two-word Yiddish expression for a Gentile who does this?
2: Uh, I've always heard, well, so so the idea of this is that there are lots and lots of actions that are prohibited on the sabbath right so people who are really observant for example won't turn on lights they won't use scissors they won't turn on the stove so if you're cooking you have to cook something that you can start early in the day and let it kind of sit on the stove all evening and into saturday um but some people get around this by employing the use of what's called a sabbath goy to come and help them with activities that would otherwise be forbidden on shabbat right
0: yeah i mean wikipedia says shabbos goy but that means the same thing so yeah
2: yeah Yeah. Yeah. That's that's cute (laughs) Yeah, you can be very helpful to your really observant Jewish neighbors by coming over and turning on the lights for them. There's some discussion because, of course, there is—we're Jews—over whether that's really following the true intent of the law. Mm -hmm. But you know, we always like to discuss things.
1: I'll be
2: your Sabbath goy, any day, lady. (laughs) Better to employ one
1: Sabbath goy than to curse the darkness.
0: All right, Ariana and Lynn, now to steal from Muffy. All right. One of the most memorable moments in Puerto Rico's history occurred when a barber named Vidal Santiago Diaz was besieged inside his Salón Boricua, his barber shop, by 40 heavily armed police officers and National Guardsmen and managed to single-handedly hold them off for three hours as the media broadcast the entire event live to the whole of the island. This standoff took place a day before an assassination attempt on which U.S. president?
1: Day before a an assassination attempt on which U.S. president? So assassination yeah. attempt implies it was not successful. And so. the fact
2: that it was broadcast on that it was broadcast to the whole island.
1: Yes, uh, oh, means that there was s- television.
2: Yeah. So I would have Reagan? to guess Reagan. Yeah.
1: yeah, that makes the most sense. Yeah. Uh, because assassination attempt, it was not successful. You got a police standoff for three hours. Yeah, which yeah a little yeah. Bit-
3: yeah. yeah. Reagan.
1: Ronald
0: Reagan. All right. You're locking in Reagan? Yep. Yeah. All right. Muffy?
1: Um, I believe he was actually one of my favorite Sabbath boys. I believe this was Harry S. Truman.
3: Oh.
0: <laughs> oh. Just realized I mentioned him in the previous question. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, I, I did recently learn this that it was Puerto Rican independence movement had tried to assassinate,
0: I believe it was Harry S. Truman. Uh, one of my favorite uh, Sabbath goishers. <laughs> Huh? So the broadcast was actually made on radio to the entire island, uh, not uh, television. You know I mean? But yeah, people remember I mean, Yeah, people remember the assassination attempt. They don't realize it wasn't an isolated incident. Within the past couple days, there have been uprisings all over Puerto Rico, spurred on by one of the 20th century's great, morally ambiguous figures, Pedro Albizzo Campos, the Puerto Rican nationalist activist who uh, had basically ordered very widespread uprisings to try and drive the U.S. out of the island. And as a result, his personal barber was surrounded by 40 soldiers for no good reason and engaged in a gunfight with them. And the day after that, two Puerto Rican nationalists attempted to assassinate Harry Truman in Blair House in Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. No idea. So next question will go to Ariana and Muffy trying to steal from Lynn. All right. Toward the end of the original Toy Story, Sid uses a toolbox to trap Woody inside an egg crate. In an amusing in-joke, what is the brand name on Sid's toolbox?
1: Ooh. So there's, the toolbox
2: would be, um,
1: what's you, funny?
2: You know what I think would be funny is if the toolbox is the same, is tool time, or something to do with um, with home improvement, because Oh, of,
1: right, That's because a good of, that is. Uh, it was, um, what was that, bin bin, binner, bin binner? I don't know tools what Tools or something like that. I don't know what brand. Is the, the name from uh, toolbox. I can remember the scene. He's trapped oh. underneath.
2: Could it be just tool time for Tim the tool, or, or tool man?
1: No, I bet. It's the brand they used in Show Home Improvement, which was, I think, Binford? Yeah, that I don't know. Well,
2: I, I don't know. See, now we have to come to a... Right, now we have to come to a, a, a conclusion on that. I'm willing to go with Tool Time, because you know why?
1: That's more general, and the mm-hmm. brand name from the show might be too proprietary. Right. I don't I don't know. Know.
2: Should we say Tool Time or Tool Man? Tool Time. Okay. You seem so doubtful.
1: <gasps> I just don't know.
3: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I
2: don't know. I, don't know. I, I could go either way. All right, let's say Tool Time.
0: All right. Locked You're locking in. in?
2: We'll lock it in.
1: Time.
0: All right, locked in Tool Time. Lynn? Ah.
2: Uh-huh. <gasps> I, I don't, oh man, the
1: first Toy Story. Um, I wonder if there's some sort of in-joke with Pixar Animation Studios and something to do with, I don't know, one of the, one of the founders, uh, not Apple. Um, that would be a
0: weird, that would be a weird reference. I'm gonna guess Pizza Port. Uh, so once again, Muffy basically gave you the answer to this. (gasps) this No! No! I talk too much! (laughs) In this case, you didn't pick up on her lead. It is Binford.
2: <laughs> oh, puppy, I'm sorry. <laughs> Well done, Muffy. See, I can't steal the question. I can only steal kiwi fruit. I'm so sorry. I wish I had, I I just didn't know the name of that uh, brand on the show. That's all right. I know it's. Uh, I would have I would have thought there would have been lawsuits.
0: Yeah. <laughs> all right. Now, Lynn and Muffy to steal from Ariana. One of the first prominent African American food scientists, John E. Hodge, made his reputation with a 1953 article that explained the mechanism for the reactions that give baked food its characteristic browned appearance and appealing flavor. These reactions Reactions, which involve amino acids and reducing sugars, are generally referred to by the name of what early 20th century French physician and chemist?
1: Early 20th century French physician and chemist. Uh, is this Pasteur? Like Pasteur? Uh, no, that See, doesn't make sense. for baked food browned and, and tasty. Uh, amino acids and reducing sugar. So what makes something bake, basically? Um, early... F- Uh, French physician and chemist. Yeah, Pasteur is very science-y. Yeah. (laughs) It's not not like a culinary name. And pasteurizing things is a thing, but I don't know if it's relevant for baking. Uh, well, it involves amino acids. (laughs) I did. Oh, oh my stars! (laughs) (laughs) I did Um, watch uh, Salt Fat Acid Heat last year in which she talks about I might be making this up but there's like the Brownian process or something like that uh when it turns to I don't know if that's a thing but we could just a guess question. Brown and that could be a generic French name. Do you think you're generally referred to by the name of uh I don't, is, it, is it Monsieur Brown? <laughs> if we're gonna go with a guess though I feel like past two,
0: okay, let's guess well. Pasteur.
1: All
0: right, past you, locked in. Yeah, not sure he was a 20th century figure, but all right, I oh. think he heard a lot more. Uh, Ariana.
2: Um, I, I didn't know this person was a physician and chemist, but I know that the reaction that, that they're referring to is something called the Maillard reaction, um, uh-huh. and that's the name for the the thing that happens when your food gets kind of caramelized on the outside like a good steak, uh, or when a baked good gets its nice, crispy brown exterior. It's essentially when things get brown and taste good.
0: Excellent explanation and that's completely correct. Nice.
3: nice. Thank
0: you. Alright. Next one, Ariana and Lynn to steal from Muffy. So due to some, unfortunately, poor plant on my part when these episodes are at in order this question will have been spoiled by the previous episode um but <laughs> at the time of the present recording i'll just say that only myself and that episode's contestants had heard the spoiler so today's <laughs> contestants are completely unspoiled anyway <laughs> All right, the first known extensive list of what are called terms of venery or collective nouns used to refer to specific animals appears in the 15th century Book of St. Albans, a treatise on the gentlemanly pastimes of hawking, hunting, and heraldry attributed to an enigmatic Benedictine prioress named Juliana Berners. However, as I alluded to in the previous episode, the modern interest in these terms can be traced to the 1968 publication of An Exaltation of Larks by what celebrated pop culture figure memberly caricature on Saturday Night Live by Will Ferrell
2: um, Lynn I know this but you're going to have to help me with the name it's oh okay I am 99% sure this is uh-huh. James Lipton and really James, yes I've seen the book it's called An Exultation of Larks and it chronicles all the different like a parliament of owls and a pride of lions oh and that's I, cute I, I that, that's what I think I think it's James Lipton did Will Ferrell play him on Saturday Night Live I have no idea. Yeah, I think he did, right? With the beard, when they would do the inside the actor studio sketch. I want to say James Lipton. All
1: right, let's let's go for James Lipton.
0: Okay. All right, you locked in James Lipton. Yeah, nope. and that's correct. Yes.
1: Yay! <laughs> Your answer was scrumptulessent. <laughs> what You were a murder
2: um, of crows on that. <laughs> what kind of animal makes you saddest?
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, ariana and Muffy, now to steal from lynn okay the city council of irwindale california filed a public nuisance lawsuit in 2013 attempting to shut down the pungent main factory of what sauce company
2: do you know this i know this i know this do you know this <laughs> do you want to say it on the count of three okay one, one two, two three, three. sriracha
3: <laughs>
0: You're rocking in sriracha?
2: sriracha Yes. Because the smell of the peppers cooking was too
0: intense for the community. Lynn?
1: I believe sriracha is correct. So the
0: question asked for the name of the sauce company. Oh, no. Oh.
1: Sriracha is the
0: flavor or the kind of sauce they produce. It's not the name of the company.
2: Oh, I do know this. Sorry, Muffy. We got too excited. No. We did it to each other. I know the yeah. name of the company.
0: All right. So you don't know, Lynn?
2: I don't know the name of the company. Is it red? No, no. Can I, can I make a guess, Yogesh? I mean, I know right. we messed up. Can I make a guess? Sure. Is it Hoi Fong Foods, H-U-Y-F-O-N-G?
0: Yeah, Hoi Fong is the name of the oh, company. Oh, nice.
1: Yeah, I see it on all the bottles
0: uh, <sighs> uh, yeah, overconfidence got all of you there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we were so excited about Sriracha. We were uh, so Burned excited. by Sriracha. When, you know, know, that, was, with, uh, that was a great used item that came out of 2013.
0: Yep. Yeah, they had to get Jerry Brown involved to arbitrate everything and find a solution. Wow. All right, now Lynn and Muffy to steal from Ariana. One of my favorite authors of juvenile fiction, Ellen Raskin, won the Newbery Medal in 1979 for her fourth novel, The Westing Game*, which turned out to be her last novel before she died at age 56. Part of the reason she was so non-prolific is that she came to writing children's novels late in life after spending most of her adult as a commercial artist and illustrator. In fact, she designed the original dust jacket with three stark white figures surrounded by black and green concentric circles against a cloudy blue background for what classic speculative fiction novel that itself won- Won a Newberry medal 16 years before Raskin did.
1: A wrinkle in time? We're not locking that in, but I immediately thought a wrinkle in time. For that. So yeah, you, you uh, what? that's right. There's three. Hold on, it's
0: it's three uh, figures. Three,
1: can can you text figures. me the question, are you? I absolutely will. Hold on one sec. Thank you. Three. I mean, Star no. cloudy <laughs> <laughs> blue That also won a Newberry Medal. All right, so sixteen uh, years and yeah. Original dust jacket. So yeah, was that's deep surrounded by black and green concentric circles against a cloudy blue background. For what classic speculative fiction novel? Yeah, I want to say A *Wrinkle in Time*. I yeah. think so too, and that would have won an. 1963 is what the the math works out to be so that sounds right for a wrinkle in time and there's the three witchy figures there's, yeah and there's also so, three oh, th- i agree let's go with that a wrinkle in time locked in
0: all right yeah excellent math and a correct answer Yay! <laughs> <laughs> we
1: did it we did it
0: you jerks <laughs> All right, and now Ariana and Lynn to steal from Muffy, last question of this round. All right. So my father loved to reminisce about the time that as a young man, he attended Plains Baptist Church with Miss Lillian, aka the mother of former president Jimmy Carter. But it wasn't until recently I learned something new about Miss Lillian, specifically what her maiden name was and why that was particularly interesting. You see, her birth surname, or maiden name, is shared with a different line of descendants from her grandfather, a line who became notable in a very different field from jimmy carter and who are primarily associated with the city of detroit so what was lillian carter's birth surname or maiden name
1: hmm, so are we thinking something with cars
2: here maybe yeah uh... I mean, Motors. Things, yeah. Do you want to see the question? Would that help you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think things that I associate with Detroit are either cars or Motown Motown music. music. Yeah. <laughs> but Miss Lillian, if she's the mother of Jimmy Carter, I Motown music was mainly African-American musicians. Uh-huh. Um, I would think it'd be something in the automotive industry. So who would be the Chevrolet
1: ma- Ford?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, could just be uh, Ford. What was Lillian Carter's birth? Ford. Story? Yeah. Like who? Who were the main the main car manufacturers working in Detroit? Mm-hmm. They're Americans. So Chevrolet, Ford, Chrysler. Chrysler. Yeah. Um. But I don't have a strong leaning one way or the other. What do you think?
1: And then yeah, from Motown music, it would be the Gordies.
2: But That doesn't make sense. The, the, yeah. yeah the bear. Um. I mean, I kind of like the idea of. Well, I don't know. I sort of like Ford. It would be funny that he had the last name of another president. But yeah, yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Do you, you want to? I, I think mean,
1: Ford makes sense. That's a good guess. Unless there is. Unless you think like Chevrolet. Oh. Uh, yeah. You know, but Chevrolet I, is not named after a person. It's named after.
2: Oh, well, that's a good bet. Is that's, that is that true? I, yeah. I, that I don't know. Um, well, Ford there? is definitely
1: named after a person, so.
2: Yeah, is Chrysler? I'm president? not
3: sure.
1: You want to say Ford? Let's go with Ford. Okay. Lock in Ford. Ford.
0: Lock in Ford? All right. Muffy?
1: Um, uh, My line of thinking is very much in the same way, just thinking about Detroit, because I don't know much about life down on the peanut farm. Ford would be funny because Carter defeated Ford in the 1976 election. Um, I will go just a, another car company. I'll say Durant. Lillian
0: Durant. All right. I mean, this is another one where, you know, your opponents basically oh, gave you the answer, but you didn't pick up on it. And um, I mean, you all, I mean, with the question about African supermodels, you all were willing to consider white people. So you did look past <laughs> race lines there. But Jimmy Carlos, great grandfather, was a slave owner. And as a result, he did, in fact, have a line of descendants from one of his slaves who was African American. His name was James Gordy, and he was the uh, ancestor. Uh,
1: I mean, Sorry. wow that's straight the- up said gordy you did yeah. sh- should have known I wrote, I wrote i wrote it down gordy yeah uh-huh. Uh-huh. that's some good thing you know that's the that's some good trivia there yeah that's a fun one yeah i may steal Sorry. that
0: one too <laughs> <laughs> all right so at the end of the not all that hard round i believe we have scores of 7.0 for lynn 6.1 for ariana and 7.1 for muffy
3: oh, <laughs> uh, oh,
2: good job good job ladies <laughs> Hanging in there by a tenth of a point. Yeah,
1: <laughs> riding on riding on both your coattails. I'm enjoying it.
0: All right, and now we move into the only somewhat hard round. The questions are now worth four points as a steal and three points as a specialist. They're supposed to be a bit harder, although I've had some some calibration issues in the past few episodes, so maybe I've misjudged that, but we'll see. All right, next one goes to Ariana and Muffy trying to steal from Lynn. Okay. Architect William Pereira has a number of impressive credits on his resume, including winning an Oscar for special effects and designing the Transamerica Pyramid in San Francisco and Fox Plaza, better known as Die Hard's Nakatomi Plaza, in los angeles (laughs) but perhaps his most ambitious project was the master plan of what planned city incorporated in 1971 that houses one of the university of california system's 10 main campuses
1: i know this oh thank god (laughs) (laughs) all right so planned city yep that houses a uc campus incorporated in 1971 one of the same poker face yeah (laughs) calm down
2: over there (laughs) okay so we have well okay so so berkeley no no la no uh santa cruz no san diego no sorry this is just gonna be a saying no santa barbara no
1: no. santa barbara no riverside irvine Right, and now Merced, we're talking. Right. Merced and Davis. And then we've got, is that 10? one, two? Three. Oh,
2: Hastings. There Hastings is a law school. Oh, SF. There's UCSF. Not, no. Yeah, but that one's the medical school, and that's definitely a no. So of those, right, Irvine, Riverside, I don't think it'd be Merced or Davis. I think those would be older, older communities. I think it'd be something more in the Inland Empire, right, of Southern California.
3: Well,
1: the city is incorporated in 1971. I feel like... I feel like irvines it's so like wide boulevards and not, you know, Orange County doesn't fill up until like late, you know, later on because that's why Disneyland is down there. Like Walt yeah. Disney was Orange Groves, hence yeah. the name Orange County. Um, I don't know. Riverside is also possible.
2: Riverside, I mean, it's further inland. It's, it's way in the in the 909. <laughs> We're talking about Southern California snobbery. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That would be my leaning. I mean, I, it, it makes me but think it that it's... Does Riverside seem planned? Or does Irvine seem planned? I don't like know. master They're, plan. they're, they're both suburbia. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna, yeah, i not going to... Yeah, which one's more 1971? I don't know. I... Riverside even, you know, it has the sort of put together name of like a suburb. I would lean Riverside, but I, I couldn't tell you for sure. I kind of feel
1: Irvine. Okay. I will buy you something baked goods if I am wrong <laughs> This is Tool is Time versus, uh, what was it again? Inford. I know, you're Finford. right. Muffy yeah. has you know what? I'll, you I know could that. be wrong, I could be wrong. Yeah, but it's I was going to say, at the very worst, Lynn knows it and she gets the points. And that's, that's, n- true. that's nice for that's
2: Lynn. True. And mm-hmm.
1: I like Lynn. I like me more, but I like Lynn.
2: <laughs> I like winning <laughs> in third place. That's okay. We can, let's let's say Irvine then. All right, we'll lock in Irvine.
0: Lynn, is that right?
2: That is,
1: Irvine is in fact, fun fact, one of the most planned communities in the
2: United States.
0: There
1: we go. And actually, here is a terrible and very fun UC Irvine fun fact. Uh, During the 60s, when all of the protests were going down and you had Berkeley going crazy with the free speech movement and UCLA was going off against Vietnam, they started to build UC Irvine and the people who built UC Irvine wanted it to be a peaceful school and they didn't want the uh, university to erupt into protests like the ones at Berkeley and LA and all over the country and so if you visit UC Irvine the campus is built on a circle and the reason is because if the protesters if the students decided to protest they would theoretically all go into the center of that circle and then the police could surround them in a circle and crush them from the outside in (gasps) So, welcome. Is is Admiral
2: Akbar a UC Irvine alumnus? It's a trap! (laughs) Yep. Wow. Lynn, which of your categories was that related to? California cities. Oh, okay. Got it. That makes sense. Nice.
1: I also think, by my excitement, it gave away that, you know, it was an Orange County city.
2: (laughs) That that I didn't, actually. I I didn't even think about that, actually. I just (laughs) just sort of know Irvine's very orderly. Yes. (laughs) Riverside Uh, City and the 91 meet. I know that.
1: All right, I'll give
0: Lynn a bonus, not related to California cities, though. Um, Ah, not about
1: UCI? (laughs) No. Great story.
0: Not about the Planet of the Apes movie that was filmed there. All right. Pereira's longtime architecture partner, Charles Luckman, had a fascinating backstory in his own right. He abandoned a lucrative business career for his childhood dream, becoming an architect in his 30s, after quitting a highly paid executive position at a company that is now part of what major transnational consumer goods conglomerate? He may have gotten inspired after his company commissioned a stunning glass box skyscraper that still stands at 390 Park Avenue in Manhattan.
1: Glass box skyscraper a glass box skyscraper 390 park avenue manhattan uh glass box skyscraper this is not the chrysler no chrysler's building is really old um multinational
0: transatlantic consumer goods company
1: hmm i'm just gonna
0: guess 3m all right. Yeah, so uh, the glass box skyscraper on Park Avenue there is called the Lever Brothers House or Lever Brothers Building. Oh. And, uh, yeah, Lever Brothers. It's now part of Unilever, so I would have accepted that.
1: Ah. They sell everything. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. So now Lynn and Muffy to steal from Ariana. Many surnames that are thought of as Jewish in the U.S. are actually German, Polish, or Russian in origin. In fact, according to JewFAQ.org... <laughs> my favorite website.
1: <laughs> <laughs> a Sabbath, boys. <voice. laughs>
0: there are really only three surnames that are specifically Jewish in nature, reflecting a threefold division in ancient Israel between those who are patrilineally descended from Moses' brother Aaron, those who are patrilineally descended from Jacob's third son, and the rest. The only surname associated with the rest is Israel. Give any common variant of the surnames associated with either of the former two categories. Ooh.
3: Ooh.
1: Okay. So maybe like so the last name Israel, so something that's the last name Abraham? I would like that. He's one of the fathers of Judaism, right? Right? Yeah. Somebody named Abe Hi. The three fathers. What if it's Isaiah? Um that's not a last name though. Isaiah. I like Abraham. Was Abraham yeah, like before Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> Was Abraham the before- ultimate patriot. Aaron? Yeah, he's the ultimate yeah, patriarch. It's he's the ultimate patriarch, right? It's, it's Abraham. There could be a surname, why not? Yeah, and uh, yeah, because Aaron and Moses are Exodus, and are Moses. Exodus, but this is Abraham. And- I think Abraham's also in Exodus as well.
3: Mm.
1: I would, you know what? I think Moses is a better choice. I've never met anyone with, or I've not met, I clearly have not been to JewFAQ.org, but, um. The rest is Israel, Moses' brother Aaron.
0: Oh, let's say
2: Abraham, just it was the first thing.
1: I like Uh, Abraham.
3: Let's
0: lock in Abraham. lock
2: in Abraham. All
0: right. Ariana? Uh,
2: (laughs) So, Abraham's Hebrew name was actually also Israel, so Abraham and Israel actually, um, Kind of common ah. names. They go together. So you know, guess you want one of the other two names, right? Yep. So I think I think one of the other kind of main surnames is Cohen for Kohanim who are the like the priest category who are descended from Aaron. And then I actually think I think I might know the other one. I think the other one is the Levi's who are who because that's one of Jacob's sons. And I'm trying in my head to sing Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat to get to the names of all the sons. But I know Levi was one of them. I couldn't say if he was the third one. But the Levi's are, I think, the other like big name categories. I'm going to say I'm going to say Cohen as like my stake in the ground answer, lock in answer.
0: Yeah, so the descendants of Aaron are, I mean, the most common way you see the last name now is Cohen. You could sometimes see it as Cohen or Cohen. Khan or Khan yeah. or something like that. And the other one, you, you'll sometimes see it as Levin or Levine or Levitt. Um, but yeah, Levi, Levy, all of them are variants on the same name.
2: Mm-hmm. Look at you. Look at me well with done. A, a very not Jewish last name over here here. <laughs> but uh... <laughs> yeah. A good Germanic word.
1: Good I mean. German Germanic origin.
0: Yep. Hi, this is future yogish, noting that Israel was actually an alternative name for Jacob, not Abraham. All right. Next one, ariana and Lynn to steal from Muffy. Um All this right. is this has a, a bit of background that um a bit of background that may lead you in some wrong directions, but uh just you know, try and keep focus on what the question's asking <laughs> okay. for. Okay. um, Julia Gardner repeatedly rebuffed the romantic advances of three decades older sitting U.S. President John Tyler until the fateful day of February 27, 1844 when a gun on board the USS Princeton exploded. This killed six men including two sitting cabinet secretaries and also her father, David Gardner. So both John Tyler and Julia Gardner were present at the explosion and afterwards her resistance melted and they were soon married and they eventually settled into a comfortable, for them, plantation lifestyle, and Julia Gardner Tyler became known as an ardent apologist for slavery despite having been born in the North. So here's a question. One might conjecture that Julia Gardner Tyler's sense of entitlement derived from having been born into an extremely wealthy and privileged family, as evidenced by the fact that the island off the New York coast where she was born was named what? The
1: island off the New York coast where she was born was named, so something like richie mcrich
2: you know <laughs> i mean there's only two islands i can name off the new york coast one is ellis island long island is, oh that one but isn't the it also, hamptons i
1: don't know
2: there's there's governor's island
1: hmm. that governor's island is a thing yeah Island is a thing that so would
2: imply entitlement she,
1: right, maybe she could, was the governor's daughter
2: that could be yeah um i mean can you do you know any other specific islands unless Ellis Island was named for for oh, some wealthy but, family
1: but that wouldn't imply a sense of entire oh i see what you mean if it if i mean it it, named right unless yeah, unless yeah
2: unless it was, the, the ellis family was really wealthy and they owned it and that became a washing
1: so. muffy's face and this seems like a tough question so <laughs> <laughs> she's
2: hiding now though she's hiding um <sighs>
1: But 1840... Can you copy-paste the last bit of the question into yeah, the text? Yeah, hold
2: on. Yeah, we... uh, bitter, bitter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't speak to him, of and I, I promise I don't. Um, I don't know. I, I'm wondering if... I mean, I don't remember when Ellis Island became an immigration hub it was i think i think it was long after she would have been born right right no absolutely right i i are there any other islands that we're not thinking of that um that like a a named island off the new york coast that you can think of i unless her name is long but i don't i think that's right (laughs) uh i don't know governor's island Governor's. yeah unless i mean was she like the daughter of the governor possibly and
1: that's why old daddy Gardner didn't let her get married to this awful racist like John
2: Tyler. Right. Sorry, I just heard something crash in my kitchen, which is never a good sign when there's a kitten around. Um,
1: I say let's go with governor.
2: Yeah. Okay
1: governor's
0: island Lucky in governor yeah all right muffy
1: i can't it's the this idea of new york coast is what's throwing me off i can't think i don't know that much about her other than what was already referenced which was she married john tyler and she was a racist old coot eventually (laughs) um but uh the new york coast because all the islands i can think of are new york harbor islands roosevelt islands well fire island is off of long island um there's also coney island um
2: these are good islands which is that we named for bunny show. rabbits
1: um and then governor's island ellis island liberty island royal harbor just for funsies i'm gonna say rikers island
0: ha <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's more of an island off the New England coast and and basically just right next to Long Island. But I'm going to apologize for this question. This was an experiment that I think didn't quite work out. (laughs) But but, uh, yeah, no, what I was trying to get at in terms of how sort of uh, entitlement and privilege might shape someone's view and give them a bit of a lack of empathy and tunnel vision. She was, in fact, born on Gardener's Island. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in,
3: <laughs> that was like my first instinct it was
1: going
0: to be called Julia
1: Island and she'd be like yes.
0: <laughs> yes it had been owned by her family for hundreds of years and in fact is located in Gardner's Bay
1: <laughs> oh my god wow, they're okay. so rich Yeah. <laughs> oh my god I have an island named after me uh, they're basically a succession of the 1840s <laughs> yeah. you, just, you just have to reverse engineer that and name yourself Riker's Island and then you're like yeah
2: <laughs> exactly
0: yeah, the island is apparently still owned by that family oh. to this day. It's still privately owned. All right. Um, That's no... Nice. <laughs> All right, Ariana and Muffy, to steal from Lynn. Okay. This will be... This is just a more straightforward question. Of the 22 feature films released by Pixar Animation Studios, there are only two for which a single individual is credited as both the director and the lone screenwriter. In other words, one person is both the sole credited director and the only person who has any kind of story, screenplay, or written by credit on the film. Name either one of those two films.
1: Whew. Mm. I think, I think I'm pretty sure I know one of them. I think I know one of them. I think it's, um, I'm going to write down mine before I think about it. Uh, Okay. I'm trying,
2: I know, I mean, I know Brad Bird, who directed the Iron Giant, not for Disney, but in the nineties, came over to Pixar and has been a director and a writer for several of the films. Yes. Is that who you were thinking about? No. Oh, I I'm, okay. <laughs> I'm thinking it is the film
1: we're naming the film correct yeah yeah, yeah. I think it's inside out I believe it's so it's, my logic is all of the early Pixar are like by committee they have like multiple yeah. directors multiple writers lots of people going on yeah, yeah, My yeah. other logic is all the Toy Story sequels have like multiple people credits right with that. yeah I think that's inside right. out is I think it's Pete Doctor who had already done like up for them and he was like a Cal Arts guy he's trusted and I think it's based on his idea of raising a daughter and what I, she was I, feeling.
2: That's right. I remember reading an interview with whoever it was who wrote it, who talked about trying to think about from an adolescent's point of view and, and what she was feeling. I wouldn't have come up with that name. The other one that is in my head is Ratatouille, which I think might be a Brad Bird film, but I could be completely making that up. I like that you have a name um, oh, yeah. and a film this specifically. Yeah, no, no, no. I think I think inside out, just because it's some, the later ones,
1: yeah. they'd be more willing to trust one person for each side. Yeah, yeah. But so. we can guess that, and
2: then Lynn can always answer her own questions. (laughs) No, I think that's right, because I think that's what he was thinking. I mean, I'm like, I think some of the later, even later ones, though, I think like Coco and Moana have gone back to different directors and writers I'm watching yeah it is... Moana Moana is not a Pixar film but... I'm sorry Moana's not a Pixar film really. and it's, it's I know so, so much about Moana it now. doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> um, um I like it, I like that answer Muffy I think that's all right let's let's lock in Inside Out, inside
0: out. all right lock in. yeah uh so in one of my previous in fact one of I think the last one that's been published so far uh I think there's a question about people born in Asia who had best screenplay Oscar nominations and I I did briefly in passing mention that a man named Ron del carmen from the philippines had a story credit on inside out and was nominated for an oscar for that um, oh. Oh. so that's not correct lynn
1: so uh Muffy, i think your instinct was correct i do think there is a pete doctor film in which he is also possibly the sole person on it and that would have been up but I am not 100% sure about that. I uh, think that Ariana your instinct was also correct. I want to say there was maybe a Brad Bird film in which he was also the sole director and writer on it and that would have been The Incredibles. I do remember the Oscar ceremony for The Incredibles. Brad Bird went up to accept the Oscar and he was the only person to accept the Oscar on behalf of the incredibles and usually for the pixar films they have like four guys come up on stage to take the trophy because there's so many people involved in them um but i do distinctly remember brad bird being the only person to take the stage for the incredibles so oh uh, but uh, uh tough decisions um could go with the incredibles here could go with up I want to say there's a Pete Doctor film where the same thing happened. Did he also do Wally? Did Pete Doctor do Wally? Mm. <laughs> Who are you asking? <laughs> I'm talking to myself over here, I like it. I like which it. is I do a lot of that these days. For people listening to this in posterity, it's because we're all inside. Uh, let's see. I am going to go with just because he was the only guy to accept the trophy, I'm pretty sure that night. I'm gonna go with Brad Bird for The Incredibles.
0: Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know, I thought this was semi-common knowledge, at least that um, for up uh, Thomas McCarthy <gasps> who directed Spotlight had, you know, contributed to the screenplay. But yeah, mm-hmm. uh, of of Brad Bird's three films he directed for Pixar, uh, he did have additional screenwriters on Ratatouille. But The Incredibles and The Incredibles 2 were entirely written by him.
3: Done. Yay! Oh, good job. I remember yeah. the
0: 2004
1: Oscar
2: ceremony, folks. Yeah. Lynn, what made his going up on stage so memorable? Does it mean he said, or just do you remember seeing him there by himself?
1: I just remember seeing him there by himself. And usually, for the animation animated yeah. films, there's always like five people on stage for them. So, yeah. four yeah. or five. Yeah.
0: Cool. Also, also that was the team-
1: Chris Rock ceremony that year.
0: <laughs> also, the theme of that film is a lot more pro individualist than probably any other Pixar film. <laughs>
1: yeah. True. No capes! <laughs>
0: Uh, (laughs) all right so this okay the next question for lyndon Muffy to steal from ariana this is in previous episodes i've called this a solve for x question nothing to do with algebra i just take a quote and replace something with an x so in this case i've taken a 1986 washington post op-ed commemorating the 50th anniversary of a certain character and replaced all references with that character with x and your job is to name the character
1: oh cute. cute Okay, so
0: 50th anniversary, so Mafia, this is 1936. Got it. OG date. Here's the quote. Many were convinced it was a political tract. Everyone from Franklin D. Roosevelt to Stalin was caricatured in the papers as X. Others said that the book was anti-Franco, that it was pro-Franco. Over the years, X has been called a fascist and a communist, an anarchist and a pacifist. Psychoanalysts have judged him manic-depressive, schizoid, latently homosexual. When the Cleveland Plain (laughs) Dealer accused the book of corrupting the youth of America, the New York Times replied, There are those of us who love X for his own sake and don't care whether he is a Nazi or a communist so long as he is true to himself. In Nazi Germany, Hitler burned the translation for being, quote, degenerate democratic propaganda, end quote. When Berlin fell in 1945, 30,000 copies were immediately printed and freely distributed among the children in a mission of peace. In its 50 years, it has been translated into 60 languages and is said to have sold at least 2.5 million copies worldwide. It has been pirated and rewritten in the Soviet Union. It was the only American children's book available in Stalinist Poland, and a square in Warsaw has been renamed X. It remained banned in Spain until Frank Death. Once the book was published there, its acceptance was acknowledged as proof that peace had finally come to that troubled country.
1: Do you think Winnie the Pooh is late in Winnie the It says he just said it was an American character. Yes. Uh, yes. Winnie the <laughs> Pooh is totally communist. Um... <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I. Okay, Is so now Papa let's see. It's an American American character? Been, so it's in a, an American children's book available in Stalinist Poland, and a square in Warsaw has been renamed for this character. Banned in Spain until Franco's death. And
2: so That's I'm trying question. to think Is Oh, yeah. Uh, hold on. I'll t- Ariana, can you text it to her? Oh, yeah. It's really long, Lynn. Hold on. You can you uh, just. Text 19- me Let me just. You, I'll text you the whole quote. Okay. What's the
1: post there? So I have a thought. Uh huh. Um, I met someone. It's. Well, there's a lot of things. 1936, right? Children's books. My first thought is just because it's, it's so provocative about Spain. Mm-hmm. It seems to be clearly a touch point there. It's Ferdinand the Bull because he, he doesn't want to fight. He doesn't want to bullfight. And that's like accusing Franco of sitting out of World War II or being involved in World War II. Um, I don't know if there'd be a Ferdinand Square in Warsaw. I don't know you if it You think it's been Ferdinand translated. the Bull might be latently homosexual? Yeah, he's a lust <laughs> 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 but i'm saying that's the accusation is he doesn't want to fight he doesn't want to do the uh, to uh, sit, uh, uh. sniff flowers you know mm-hmm. um so you could be accused of not wanting to fight right you could be accused of wanting to do like a feminine thing um corrupting youth he's true to himself i kind of like ferdinand the bull hmm. but what i have about? no idea i mean what it's, about uh what about popeye he was like he was a, like, no. comics. He was a- comic strip oh, um yeah. other i was thinking like the little prince but he's french yeah i was thinking i mean it's two 1936 it's pretty early on so it's got to be yeah. like a beloved old children's book not charlie brown um later too, he's a comic strip um yeah i can't think of any like an like an old picture book i mean there's who else is there there's winnie the we've got winnie the pooh corduroy the bear mm-hmm. uh The Velveteen Rabbit, Uh, Mm -hmm. um... Paddington, yeah. Paddington is British as well. Mm Mm-hmm. You think this Calvin and... No, because this is a This is 1936, that's why it's so old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact is it's so touchy in Spain, and it's accusing... Yeah, yeah, who's a character that's like famously individualistic I guess. Those who there are those who love X for his own sake and don't care whether he's a Nazi or communist so long as he is true to himself. Yeah. I mean I think that that kind of fits for Ferdinand the bull. Alright. Well the I don't know, but he's not not <laughs> Like, Paddington's British, Winnie the Pooh is British. So Psychoanalysts have judged him manic depressive schizoid. So this is he a... Doesn't, he doesn't want to be a little. He, does, he just wants to sit in the corner and smell flowers. Aww. So it's, I could see how there's like, people think it's a political allegory or not. Mm, okay. All right. You're convincing me of for All right. If not, I will buy you a baked good as well. <laughs> I mean, I owe a lot of I owe a lot of you cookies. Go- yeah. Well, you got Irvine, so you, you don't owe our You everybody. don't owe me a cookie for yeah. Irvine. Yeah. oh, that's right. Okay, yeah, I'm going Baker's Dozen. Let's say Ferdinand the Bull. Can we lock that in? Yep, lock it in. Lock in the Bull. All
0: right, yeah. I mean, in that era, liking flowers was actually pretty strong code for homosexuality. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, Muffy's logic is exactly right. Well done, Yay! Muffy!
1: I love riding on your coattails.
2: Ferdinand the bull. So the, the, the men from the bull ring go to the field to look for bulls to fight in the next fight and Ferdinand is a complete pacifist he just wants to sit under the cork tree and sniff flowers but a bee stings Ferdinand and he goes bucking and wilding out all over the field and the men see that he is the fear think that he's the fiercest bull of all of them as so they capture him and they take him into town and he of course does not want to fight and he just sits there in the middle of the bullring while all of the torreadores, you know dance around him getting more and more frantic and Ferdinand does not fight oh, it's my Ferdinand. my uncle Ferdinand is a wonderful character. It's my uncle's favorite book of all time, Ferdinand the Bull. So Uncle Paul, that answer is for you.
3: <laughs>
1: <Aww>. <laughs> Sorry, Uncle Paul, we had steel steal points from your yeah,
2: niece. It's
0: yeah, it's well, yeah. Do you remember who wrote it, uh, Ariana?
2: Yeah, Monroe Leaf wrote it.
0: Do you remember who illustrated it?
2: No, I can picture the illustrations so vividly. It's these beautiful black and white, just pen and ink illustrations. Um, I don't know who illustrated it. No.
0: So it was, so Leaf actually wrote it just over the course of an afternoon, but he wanted to give a showcase for his friend who was an illustrator. So really the story was meant just to foreground the the illustrations, but the illustrator was named Robert Lawson. He later became a noted uh, children's author in his own right, and in fact is the only person to win both the Newbery Medal and and the Caldecott Medal.
2: That's great. I didn't know that. That's really
0: cool. All right. So now Ariana and Lynn to steal from Muffy. Yeah. What was your third
1: category, Muffy? 1990s movies. Is this one about 1990s
0: movies? Uh Uh-oh. Let's hope so. You'll find out in a second. All right. (laughs) (laughs)
1: All
0: right. So, before starting my current podcast, I looked for inspiration to some of my friends, including Ari Bryn, who was kind enough to have me as a guest on her podcast discussing science fiction, or rather, I was pretending to know something about science fiction, but she actually actually does. She comes by her interest and passion for science fiction via her father, David Bryn, who is a prolific and successful science fiction or speculative fiction author who is quite popular among genre fans but never quite crossed over into the mainstream. Perhaps because the one big budget Hollywood feature film based on his work, crashed and burned, losing a ton of money at the box office and earning five Razzie awards, including Worst Picture, Worst Director, Worst Actor, and Worst Screenplay. I hasten to add that I'm told that the original book is quite good. (laughs) Now, ironically, a film that was also released in the U.S. in the 90s with the same title as Bryn's novel and the film based on it, but otherwise unrelated, was a sleeper hit and even pulled off a surprise Best Picture Oscar nomination, Give the title shared by these two quite different films
1: wow uh when oh. was the david brain movie
0: i mean i i didn't say but oh, you know you didn't from, say. okay from, i mean you know muffy's category yeah, is 90s yeah. so yeah
2: okay let's see so all right do you want to see the question lynn sure yeah. okay let me, let me send this to you uh
1: so we don't think it's shakespeare in love right guys i um. doubt it I <laughs> I'm, I'm putting in na- that i'm going to put a cloth napkin over my face so you can't see me react <laughs> <laughs> For those listening to the podcast, Muffy currently has a pink towel covering Just
2: her face. fully covering her face. All right. So he wrote some science fiction, speculative fiction work. His film, or the big budget Hollywood film based on his, crashed and burned. It was terrible. Five Razzies. A film also released in the U.S. in the 90s with the same title was unrelated, Best Picture Oscar Nom. There um,
1: are some Best Picture Oscar nominees I'm about to yeah. list off. Okay. Go for That's- it. That's... Might also be speculative fiction yeah. titles. What I like a lot is The Prince of Tides. Huh. Uh, doesn't that sound like a science fiction thing? I don't it's know. Prince sure of Tides. It could be.
2: Yeah. Was that um, was that
1: nominated that, for best picture? That was nominated for a best picture Oscar. Okay. Uh, in the early '90s, okay. Awakenings. Is also a movie that was nominated for an Oscar in the early Awakenings. Could be a science fiction thing. It absolutely um, could.
2: Some kind of like alien yeah. situation.
1: Fargo. No, I'm just kidding. Nope. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I, I do know Prince of Tides is based on the Pat Conroy book Prince of Tides as well, so it is um, also a film that is based on a movie, yeah. which is what he was saying. Um,
2: what if it's something where the title doesn't sound science fictiony, mm, like Quiz Show? Um, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, There's Scent of a Woman. Um, that's the problem is there's so many that it could just
1: Shawshank be. Redemption. Uh, I'm just thinking of the 90s uh, and, and things that didn't win. Saving Private Ryan, um, no.
2: Philadelphia. I'm getting hot under this napkin, you guys. Well, take the napkin <laughs> off your face. You can look at us. <laughs> Okay. I, I kind
1: yeah, of like I Prince know. of Tides that, doesn't that feel like speculative fictiony no, um,
2: it, it, but my only concern is that if it's already like was Prince of Tides a sleeper hit that's the thing like what was a small maybe independent movie or like something that was not yeah that was a sleeper that then went on to get nominated for the best picture Oscar
1: Dead Poet Society Howard's End could um, it be something foreign ooh, Remains of the Day Maybe. And that's British. Uh, also based on another book. Also based on a book. Yeah. Released in the US in the 90s. Remains of the day. I don't know if I would call it a sleeper hit, but it did pull off a Best Picture Oscar nomination.
2: Uh, I. I- I doubt it'd be two books with the same, like that there'd be two novels with the same name that were both adapted into films, right? Like, I just, I don't know if that would happen. Um,
1: Oh, oh, ironically, a film also released in the U.S. in the 90s with the same title as the novel and the film but otherwise unrelated.
2: otherwise unrelated, yeah. Okay, Okay. got it. Okay, so it doesn't have to be based on a novel.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Remains of the Day, In the Name of the Father. I'm just listing things.
2: Yeah, Um, I wish I knew more Oscar nominees. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I don't have any I don't have any foothold here other than As good thinking. as it gets. Um, I don't know if it was nominated for Best Picture. I think it was. <sighs> Shine. That's a movie. Was that nominated for Best Picture?
1: It was. Shine was okay. a movie that nominated Best That could be a speculative fiction title.
2: Yeah. Was, um, a, was that a sleeper hit? I
1: don't know if it was a sleeper hit.
2: Yeah. Sense and that's Sensibility? That's, uh. <laughs> that's, that's a movie that was nominated. I will. We'll wrap this up, Yogesh, I promise. But what's a movie that was nominated for Best Picture that didn't have, like, big-name stars in it, you know? Or that was more indie or... I'm not helping here because I can't think of any, but, like, yeah. like a sleeper hit makes me think that it was something that was, you know, it's very unexpected, so it wouldn't have had a lot of money behind it from a studio. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's good thinking. Lucky's like the elephant man over there. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm trying to
2: not give anything away. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Lynn, what do you
3: think?
1: I don't know. I I just I kind of want to just... oh. We can do awakenings. Does that feel like a speculative fiction thing? It's, a, it's such a generic word as well.
2: Yeah. Was that a sleep? Was the good one a sleeper hit? Awakenings
1: starred Robin Williams
2: so
3: and no! Robert
2: De Niro. I don't know if it was a sleeper hit,
1: no, but the one, that's the
2: one about the doctor, right? I'm so yeah. bad at movies. All right, I'm gonna let you pick. I'm gonna let you pick because I really don't know. Oh, no, no,
1: I'm just yeah. trying to think what titles also have, is also a, a, a title of a, a speculative fiction. I really like Prince of Tides as a speculative
0: fiction like title. It,
2: yeah, it could be. It could be like uh, yeah, it very well could be. All
0: right, we're
1: gonna lock in Prince of Tides.
0: All right, you locked in Prince of Tides. All right, Muffy is finally released from her.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Myself.
3: <laughs> well,
0: all right.
1: I don't have a poker face. I have the opposite of a poker face. I have <laughs> like <hard>. cha cha face. <laughs> That's all, all right. out there. Cha cha cha. Neither rain nor sleet nor dark of night can stop the postman, or as it was called in Italian, uh, was- uh, oh. Nice, nice, nice. Very nice.
2: Oh, Very nice.
1: nice. nice. Italian, I would leave it as the postman, and they had to start calling it by the Italian title, because people were like, the postman?!
0: <laughs> That's yeah, amazing. It was released in the U.S. with the same title as Brind's novel. That wasn't its original oh, title in Italian.
1: five-minute detour of me just listing 90s <laughs> Oscar <laughs> nominees was all for naught. I mean, yeah, there was a brief time in mid America when people really, really liked an Italian film about a poet and a postman.
0: Yeah. When you said Sense and Sensibility, I was like, well, at least she's on the right year. Maybe she'll keep thinking of other <laughs>
2: <laughs> You know... We could have backed into it. We did not back into it. No. <laughs> but
3: I, was glad I had
2: a napkin on my face because when Ariana was like, maybe it's a foreign film, I was like, no. <laughs> Slow motion, like, no. <sighs> All <sighs>
0: I right. Oh, no.
2: Like, I do faking. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, Ariana and Muffy to steal from Lynn now. Okay. Solvang, California, got a boost in visits from Ina Files in the mid-2000s due to the movie Sideways. It's also close to Michael Jackson's Neverland Ranch. But its main tourist draw has always been its quaint recreation of a tourist-friendly version of the culture of what European nation?
2: I know this one. Do you know this one? It's Denmark. It is Denmark. Yeah. Yes, I would yeah, lock I, in Denmark. I would too. You can go get delicious Abel Skevers in uh, Solvang. <laughs> <laughs> We'll say Denmark.
0: All right.
3: Well
2: done. You, you got your you, 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 you pancake knowledge. This girl loves her pancakes.
0: Good to have a nice quick one after the um <laughs> of the previous one. It
1: was the, yeah, the running time on that question was almost as long as the postman.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Foster wandering in a post-apocalyptic future world. Mm-hmm. Looking you pirate. know what? Even our rambling was better than his. <laughs>
0: oh, 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 oh. Burn. Okay. All right. I f- again, I feel the need to point out that the book, I'm told, is very good. But
2: <laughs> yes, I'm sure it's fantastic.
0: I have to stand up for Ari and her father. Yeah, we're not right.
2: insulting uh, David Brin at all.
0: All right. Now, uh, linen Muffy to steal from Ariana. In 2018, what apple cultivar surpassed Red Delicious as the most produced type of apple in the U.S.? Ooh. Here's a non-food related hint. It shares its name with the main Bond girl in the Ian Fleming novel Moonraker, One of the only major female character in a Fleming James Bond novel to never appear. Or in a James Bond movie.
1: Oh heavens! Apple culture are most produced in the U.S. Do you think that the Bond girl's name is Fiji? Um.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fuji. I don't think it's Fuji. Fuji. Fiji. Fuji. Uh, Fuji. Gala honey. What is the honey? honey Golden crisp. Honey, crisp? honey, honey crisp? crisp. People like that one. That's a good one. Golden delicious. Ooh. That's a gold one. Golden delicious. <laughs> it's a very Bond yeah. girl kind of name, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Girl. Apple. It's produced. Well, can you text me the questionnaire? You know? Oh, yeah. Honeycrisp, Golden yeah. Delicious. Honeycrisp Honey but... Honey seems like a vaguely misogynistic Bond girl name. You yeah, know? right? <laughs> like, is oh, Honeycrisp. Honey mm, well, really red thing. Delicious. I don't feel like I see a ton of golden apples on the shelf. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do see, you see like the not as red as Red Delicious. There's Macintosh, Yeah. The Bond girl's, girl's name Chris, was Granny Christmas. Smith. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the, the I least, believe least sexy Bond
2: girl. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that 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 could work. from right? Granny Smith. Um, hold on. Uh, that's a very tart apple. Um, honey, is there another honey? Golden honey? Some honey? I mean, you know, what do you you, when you got? What you got? An evil Bond girl named Zenia Onatop that they come up with. <laughs> you know the name. Sir. Gala the name, Apple? The name's not be necessarily real to life, you know? Um, I kind of like Honeycrisp, Honey something. Yeah. Is there another Miss Honeycrisp? <laughs> yeah, like, she doesn't actually get a first name. It's just Honey. They just call her Honey. Honey Apple, Honeycrisp, Golden Delicious, Gala. Gala, Miss- Yeah. Granny Most, Smith. When you go into a store, what do you see? I just see apples. I like Fuji. <laughs> I like Fuji too. Um, but that's probably not right. Let's I I Honey Crisp is pretty is pretty popular. Let's it's go with not, her. It's a delicious apple, even if it's wrong answer.
0: Honey crisp, long. <laughs> Alright, yeah. Right, yeah. That's surprisingly close with I haven't really thought of that, but um the main Bond girl in Doctor No is Honey Child Rider. So it's surprisingly close to uh That is a
1: worse <laughs> name than Honey Crisp. Wow. Honey,
0: <laughs> Honey <laughs> Child Rider? <laughs> I
1: don't it's, like that. Yeah, in, in
0: the movie, I think she's only called Honey. I think the full name was a little oh, too so weird. Oh, uh... Honey.
2: All right. Uh. So this is not to Ariana, or?
0: Yeah, it goes to Ariana. Heavens.
2: Now. I no. mean, with the... I also probably would have said Honeycrisp with the Bond girl piece of it, because that sounds like a Bond girl name, but since it's not that, um... I, I mean, there's there's like a whole range of apples in that family: the Honeycrisp, Gala, Fuji, that are all kind of crisp and tart, unlike a Red Delicious, which is a little bit mealy. It's like a good pie apple. So if it's not Honeycrisp, then I think it'd be between Gala and Fuji, which are I see a, a lot and I think are really popular and they have good shelf life. Um, but I can't see Fuji being a Bond girl name, so I'll go Gala.
0: All right, excellent logic, and that's correct.
2: <laughs> Yay! But I, I want to say for the record, I, th- I, I would have followed in, in both Lynn and Muffy's footsteps with Honeycrisp because I think it's a phenomenal Bond girl nickname and would have gone down that and same road with you. Much
1: better than Honey Child Rider. Like yeah,
2: just, And you know them. what doesn't have a good shelf life? Bond girls. No. <laughs> They're disposable.
0: Ah. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's why you get one point less for not stealing because you, you do get a potential answer taken off the table. So it's a slightly okay. easier for you. But all right. Last question of this round before the difficulty goes up yet again. Ariana and Lynn to steal from Muffy. Okay. A 2015 article in Harper's Bazaar looked back on the then-trendy vocabulary introduced by 1995 Clueless and attempted to select yes. its 2015 equivalents.
3: Mm. So according to that
0: article, according to that article by Felicia in 2015, would roughly correspond to the name of what car manufacturer in the world of Clueless? Car
2: manufacturer. There's a she, one of them drives a Jeep. Um, right, like they one say of them, she's Jeepin'. There's like if there's something about like messing around in the back of somebody's. What are you looking at? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Muffy has the uh, my
2: cone uh, of silence. towel on her face.
1: <laughs> I just good. watched this movie because Emma just came out a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Clueless is a far superior adaptation of Emma. Um, so one Felicia, of them is uh,
2: yeah. Bye Felicia is like, you know, Bye. Right. Uh, Get out of here. Yeah, like we don't need you. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm obviously very trendy with my explanation of what by Felicia means. Um, I what car manufacturer in the world of fluids? I mean, there's something between Dion and her boyfriend where she talks about him messing around in the back of a car with another girl, and I think she says like you jeepin like mm. a like jeep, but yeah. not really. The-
1: also drive like a Porsche. I don't remember if that
2: is the case. I don't. Know. Cher drives some kind of jeep, also like an open. Yeah, you know, she drives an topic. open-air jeep.
1: Yeah. Uh, that she can't drive and swerves all over the road. And then right.
2: Paul Rudd character drives some kind was, of little crappy
1: sedan. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And um, oh my God, the really cute boy who turns out to be gay drives like
1: Christian, a Christian.
3: Yeah.
2: Christian drives like yes, yeah, a cute little sporty car. But I don't think there's a. I don't. I don't know. If I, yeah. I mean, the only car Crap that I can, sporty car. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is is Jeep.
3: A yeah. Jeep.
1: Yeah. You're a virgin who can't drive. Uh. <laughs> How do you know? <laughs> you say Jeep? Yeah, let's do Jeep. Let's do Jeep.
0: All right. At the risk of sounding um, way harsh, that is not correct.
1: Oh, no.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, Muffy?
1: I think it's like more about the tone of it. When you say bye, Felicia, it's like get out of here. I think it's yeah. Audi because you're Audi 5000.
0: Oh. That is correct. Yes.
3: Oh. Yay! Oh,
1: Nice. <laughs> You were thinking too much about the movie and not about what you would say. Yep. Wow. 90s slang. Yeah. I was all
0: all right. alive in
3: the 90s.
0: So, all right. At the end of that round, I believe we have scores of 14.0 for Lynn, 20.1 for Ariana, 25.1 for <gasps> Muffy.
1: Oh, wow. wow. 25? So, Muffy, well I'm done. powerful. I'm very thieving.
0: Like a, a little more uh, a little more separation, but um, now in the next round the points will go up to six points for a steal and five for a specialist, so potential for lots of big swings. So we'll start with Arnean and Muffy to steal from Lynn. All right. A recurring Easter egg in Pixar films is the alphanumeric designation A one one three, which refers to a classroom at the California Institute of the Arts, CalArts, a private university, where many hungry young animators salivating for success got their start. That university is located in what boom-burb of over 200,000 people within Los Angeles County?
1: boom
0: What does that word even mean? <laughs> like, I, I, I'm not a, even stealing. <laughs> Sorry. That, 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 yeah, that's a neologism. It refers to a city like the one I'm currently in, Vancouver, which is essentially like a suburb, even though it has a population comparable to that of major urban centers.
1: Oh, I know where this is. Okay. I know where. I think I know where this is, Ariana. CalArts is up in Santa Clarita, which is, I think, think, Yeah. The third largest city in LA County after. It goes like LA, Long Beach, and then I think Santa Clarita. Yeah,
2: I think it's Santa Clarita. I think it's up. Santa Clarita's claims to fame are Magic Mountain and. uh, Two good things. All right. We'll we'll lock in Santa Clarita.
0: All right. And yeah, when I say you hungry young animators salivating for success, much like characters on a certain Netflix series salivating for. (laughs) (laughs) funny funny all right so yeah that's correct and now to lynn and muffy trying to steal from ariana good
2: luck ladies
0: there's another one that i've removed something and replaced it with x so According to Leviticus 11.5, The x, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It is unclean for you. According to Deuteronomy 14.7, However, of those that chew the cud or that have a divided hoof, you may not eat the camel, the rabbit, or the ex. Although they chew the cud, they do not have a divided hoof. They are ceremonially unclean for you. Okay, so that ends the quoting part. What small herbivorous mammal, sometimes called a dasi in its native Africa, did God find so not nice that he forbade Jews from eating it twice? (laughs) <laughs> Current taxonomic science suggests that these animals are the nearest extant or still around relatives to both elephants and Cyrenians, in other words, manatees and dugongs. What? Wow.
1: Yes. I think I, I know this from the elephant connection. Uh, I'm not good okay. on like my you know, protocols of the, the Eldritch. Uh, Leviticus. Leviticus, yeah. Uh, I believe it is the hyrax. It's a small rodent looking thing, but it's not actually a ro- <laughs> It's a small furry thing, and it's called a hyrax, H-Y-R-A-X. Never even heard of that before, but all right. Yeah. Let's
0: eat us some hyrax. We'll lock that in. Yeah, I'm not sure why it was such a big deal that, uh, you know, people really uh, clamoring to eat them, but um, who knows? But yeah, I I thought this was a Bible or Jewish knowledge question. Turned out to be a animal knowledge question.
1: (laughs) Which Muffy is an expert at. (laughs) (laughs) Hyrax is delicious.
2: I actually, I don't know. I don't know. All right. I'm going to have to Google what that looks like. They're cute. They're definitely cute. They're probably also delicious. Oh, golden delicious, red delicious.
0: That's the real reason they were banned. They were just too deli- sinfully yeah. delicious.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that's marketing. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> like the Ortolan bunting. All right, Ariana and Lynn now to steal for Muffy. Let's see if we can make it three steals in a row. After directing three critically acclaimed dialogue-driven films about young people in the 1990s, Whit Stillman pulled one of cinema's most famous disappearing acts and did not helm another feature until the 2010s. His most recent film and first real period piece reunited him with two actresses he helped turn into stars, Kate Beckinsale and Chloe Sevigny. It is based on a novel called Lady Susan, but titled Love and Friendship after a different work by the author of Lady Susan. Who is that author?
1: Oh, can you post the, Can you paste the yeah. question? Into, I thought we were going for the
2: director, but I thought uh, that took a turn oh, Whit there. Stillman. Okay, here, let me give me one sec. I will send it to you. Uh-huh. Muffy is covering her face again, she indicates that she knows. Okay, so, Whit Stillman did not film mm-hmm. another feature film until the 2010s, his most recent film, and period piece, Kate Beckinsale and Chloe Sevigny, Love and Friendship. Um
1: Do we think this author is that one Joe or that one woman who writes the um who writes the the Joe Nesbitt, is that who I'm thinking of? Um you know, she writes she writes these novels about
2: friendship and love. It's it's I it's hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's one oh my god i saw i saw it i definitely i saw love and friendship it's one of the it's it's a victorian lady writer oh um so it's customer. a british author yes okay by the way love and friendship is really good it's worth seeing um <laughs> that's my plug um i okay i'm gonna watch i'm gonna watch muffy's body language when i say this hold still morocco um <laughs> i think it's, i think it's jane austen
1: really it is based yeah. on a novel called Lady Susan. No, but it's based on a novel called Lady Susan, but titled Yeah, yeah. Yes, Love yes, yes, and yes. Friendship. But yeah. Jane Austen didn't write a novel called Love and Friendship or Lady Susan. Mm, I think she did. There's six of them. Mansfield Park, Northanger Abbey, Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility, Emma, and what am I missing? Love and Friendship?
2: Is that the Lady Susan.
1: Lady Susan?
2: Wait. Oh, no. no. I'm pretty I am pretty sure that that Jane Austen wrote Lady Susan. Really? Yeah. Never heard of this. Okay. That's my, that's, I think that's
1: so. your gut. All right. Let's go with that. Yeah. All right. Are you locking yeah. in Jane Austen? Yeah. yeah. Locking in Jane Austen. Yeah. All right. Is that right, Buffy? It is an unpublished epistolary novel by
0: Jane Austen.
1: Oh, three steals in a row. Well done, Woo! team.
0: Yeah, so there were her six canonical novels that came out during her lifetime or right around her lifetime, but yeah. Persuasion lady,
1: was the six, yeah. Persuasion.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, Lady Susan was dug up much later. Love and Friendship is actually a bit of a juvenilia short story, and for some reason, Wikipedia is very insistent on having the article for the story itself spelling <laughs> friendship, F-R-E-I, I N D S H I P. I think oh, it was he- actually I think it was mispublished I think she re- wrote it wrongly, like she misspelled friendship. Right. And for whatever reason, Wikipedia really feels a need to preserve that that misspelling. Yeah. <laughs>
2: well that was her original mistake. Her original sinfully delicious.
0: Alright. I was going to say it's uh, uh, compares to Witt
1: Stimmons' earlier film with Kate Beckinsale and Chloe Sevigny Jane Austen's The Last Days of Disco. <laughs> oh
0: yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Not a movie. Or- <laughs> But that will be our next Hub Trivia team name. So.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, last, last, last days of disco. I love it. That's really
0: good. All right. Okay, so now Ariana and Muffy to steal from Lynn.
1: Okay. Stop stealing right. my questions, you guys. We're sorry. Stop stealing <laughs> mine.
0: All right. In Japanese cuisine, tonkatsu, okonomiyaki, and yakisoba are all usually accompanied by sauces derived from which non-Japanese condiment first imported in the 19th century?
2: Katsuyaki Soba. What was the other one? Okonomiyaki. Okay. Well, non jobbing come Okay, so... Uh, let's that suggests maybe oh, something. Oh, uh um, Based- Tonkatsu is. I think tonkatsu often has a curry sauce. Okay. But no, I could be wrong about that though. I could be wrong about that. Wait, wait. So tonkatsu is the pork, right? Pork. Yeah, it's it's a yakisoba
1: is a noodle a noodle dish. Okonomiyaki is the pancake
2: thing. Pancake, yeah. Um, a non-Japanese condiment. Yeah. Okonomiyaki doesn't come with like a curry sauce. What does it come with? It. What about hmm. like a ketchup? Maybe. Oh, mayonnaise. No, mayonnaise. mayonnaise. Okay, okonomiyaki often has like a, a like the a sweet like a Japanese mayonnaise on top. They do make it. I I have a dog yeah. toy from Japan that it's a smiling, squeaking bottle of mayonnaise of Cupy mayonnaise. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if tonkatsu or yakisoba do though. Okonomiyaki often does. It also has like eel sauce on top, like a sweet eel sauce. But that could be Japanese. That would
1: that would probably be Japanese. Yeah.
2: I kind of like the mayonnaise. Kind of like mayonnaise too. With I mean, I like it in then, life and <laughs> I like it as the answer. Oh, mayonnaise is my favorite condiment in life, for sure. I mean, let's, let's just put that out there. Um, <laughs> 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 I <really laughs> has opinions. Uh, you said in the in the 19th century? Yes. So that yeah. could be American, like
1: 1867 is American yeah. influence. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. Let's say mayonnaise. Yeah, sauce is derived from, let's say mayonnaise. Well,
0: not All mayonnaise. Right. mayonnaise? Yeah. All right, Lynn. Mm.
2: also on the topic of
1: mayonnaise there's a reason why it's called Hellman's own because that's where it comes from (laughs) Um, uh actually it's not hellman's own it's what hellman's finest or or something like that oxymoron um this is interesting because so tonkatsu tonkatsu broth for ramen is like a creamier broth and it is the pork that's what you're thinking of uh but yeah it's, it's it's a creamier broth Yaki soba feels like a very simple i wonder if this is something as simple as soy sauce which might be from china originally and not japan although i would think that japan would have soy sauce way before the 19th century and japan is very good at making soy sauce and they're experts at it um but It could be something as simple as a soy sauce base, and they all have soy in them. So I'm going to go with soy.
0: So I'm I'm actually not sure where soy sauce is from, but yeah, all of these dishes came out of kind of that 19th century after Japan was opened up to the West, that sort of cultural interchange. And um, I mean, if you're remembering a a creamy sauce, but sort of, or a sauce with a creamy consistency, you might be thinking of the right one, but these are all derived from Worcestershire sauce. Oh, Gross. (laughs)
3: That's why I don't
1: like tokatsu ramen. I always get a miso or soy based ramen. Just saying. I
2: didn't know that. (laughs) Wooster, sure, 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 sure. (laughs) No one can spell it, no one can say it. Yep.
0: All right. The next one I huh, I replaced with an easier question at the last second, so well we'll see how this plays. Oh no! All right. <laughs> All right. So linen Muffy to steal from Ariana. Although she's best known for books about Ramona Quimby, Bezus, Henry, uh, and that group, Beverly Cleary's only Newbery Medal came for what 1984 novel that was likely many readers' first introduction to the epistolary genre.
1: Is it the oh, Are you there, God? Uh, it's me, Margaret. No. no, that's uh, that's Judy Bloom. Ah, uh, it's right. Dear, dear Mister Something. It is um, dear, because it's it's writing writing letters. Uh huh. So she wrote all so the Ramona and Beezus and Henry and I read those. Yep. Yeah, she's in Portland. It's dear. Is or is it? Oh. can I see the question sorry sorry
2: yeah just a second
1: oh, yeah no. it's Beverly. her she wrote so many good books I think she's still alive
2: I feel like she's uh, um, she, I want to say she may have recently passed recently passed she was quite elderly. Yeah, if, if, really old yeah 1984
1: novel that was likely been research of the epistolary dear mr something dear dear mm. dear mr Postman <laughs> 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 uh, uh, dear, uh, dear, yeah, or I mean, maybe it's dear. Really. When I met a Mr. Postman, <laughs> that's please, Mr. Postman. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, I I can't think of it. It's dear Mr. Some. It's something. Dear Mr. Roosevelt. Uh, dear Mr. Newberry. Give me a medal. <laughs> <laughs> Uh dear or it's like dear something something. I'm not gonna get it. How about dear Mrs. Cleary? And it's a self referential thing. I don't know, Lynn. You your choice. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. Alright. Dear Mr Hudgens. I don't know. Well, that was your lock-in. yeah, why not? <laughs> dear Mr.
0: Uh, Beast. Wow. <laughs> yeah, actually, um she is still uh alive here in oh, the Portland area at the age of one hundred three, as far as I know, still <laughs> alive. Yay, Beverly. Hi, this is future Yogesh. Although Beverly Cleary was definitely alive at the time of recording, as I was editing this, the news broke that she had passed away at the age of 104. Also, although she was from the Portland area, she was living in Carmel at the time of her death. Uh, Did this
3: come
2: to me, Yogesh?
0: Yes, go ahead.
2: Uh, Muffy, you are are so close. It is dear, it is mister, and it is a name that starts with an H. So (gasps) it's not... It's not Dear Mr. Hudgens. I believe it's Dear Mr. Henshaw. I know I've read it. I read it as a kid. I could not tell you at this point what it's about, but I loved, loved, loved all of the Ramona and Beezus books. But I'll say Dear Mr. Henshaw.
0: All right. I didn't make it too easy then by replacing the question. Good. But yeah, no, that, uh, that's correct. Dear Mr. Henshaw. Yeah,
2: that that was... I was too
1: mature by 1984 for such a shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was already moving on to the juvenilia of Jane Austen.
2: <laughs> I was a mere pup of only three, so Lynn, don't don't say anything, Lynn.
0: <laughs> so I was uh, zero years old then.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't need to hear it, Lynn. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Now, Ariana and Linda Steele from Muffy. Citing a source that ultimately goes back to (laughs) presidentialpetmuseum.com, Wikipedia claims that prior to Donald Trump, the last president to not keep any pets while in office was James K. Polk. However, Presidential Pet Museum's definition of pet is somewhat loose. Which president do they classify as a pet owner solely because, and this is a direct quote from the website, it is known that he left flour out at night for a family of white mice playing in his room during his dark days.
3: Ooh,
1: this could be Calvin Coolidge. He was weird as fuck.
2: I'm um, <laughs> not supposed to use that word. Oh, sorry, sorry,
1: sorry. He was weird as heck. Uh um, <laughs> uh he so I mean left flower out for mice during his dark days implies oh. president who was really depressed yeah while he was president that would be Calvin Coolidge absolutely that could also be uh, uh whose son also died Franklin Pierce muffy is that right uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, or is it Millard Fillmore It's one of those that', that one of those, like one of those yeah less, I less think memorable. Yeah, I think Millard Filmer also had a kid who died. Like, right? Do
2: we, I mean, I know I, I know almost every president, obviously, was married. Um, would, a, would, a pre, would a first lady have objected to her presidential husband leaving out flour for mice to play in?
1: This could also be Abraham Lincoln, but if it was, I think a towel would have been over uh, mommy's face immediately. <laughs> 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 because Lincoln's son also died as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's what Lincoln and the Bardo was about. Very dark. Um, yeah he had dark days but I would say this is not a Lincoln question based on Muffy's continued exposure of her face
2: (laughs) she could be double crossing us I don't don't have any I don't have any insight into this I mean I agree that it would have to be a president who is famously sad or depressed
3: yeah
2: (laughs) I'm sorry um yeah if you like Coolidge I think that that's I I like Coolidge also because it's weird, and he's (laughs) so weird, and
1: he would do something like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, That's all right. We're locking in. We're locking (laughs) in my man John Calvin Coolidge.
0: (laughs) All right. Yeah. Coolidge was uh, apparently a huge dog lover. He had a ton of. uh, Yeah, a ton of dogs, as well as apparently a raccoon, uh, donkey, canaries, um, trained. He was weird. He actually, yeah, he had a lot. He had a goose, bobcat, um, two lion cubs named Tax Reduction and Budget Bureau. No. Uh, A (laughs) pygmy hippopotamus. He did
1: have a big uh, yeah, They're descendants of that hippopotamus now
0: in zoos. Yeah, uh, and, and many others probably, many of them were probably just gifts from foreign leaders who were given uh. to zoos. But yeah, he he did have quite a few dogs. But anyway, um, Muffy?
1: I think I, I liked Lynn's logic and I'm going to go with, it would have been someone who in 19th century, it sounds kind of 19th century to be feeding mice and not exterminating them. And I would go with someone who had dark days personally was, I would say Franklin Pierce.
0: Yeah, Pierce did definitely have uh, dark days. And yeah, he wasn't a big pet owner, although there are a few listed on there. But we were in the right era, just to uh, fast forward a few presidents to one who uh, his dark day, well, so if I've that. Abraham Lincoln? I- <laughs> Lincoln, Lincoln, Lincoln had kids in the White House, so he had tons yeah. of animals there. Yeah, but uh, I actually just chop. I truncated that quote partly. The full quote actually was: "It was known that he left flour out at night for a family of white mice playing in his room during his dark days of impeachment."
3: Uh.
1: Oh. <laughs> That just, wait, wait, is it johnson or
0: yes it is andrew johnson that's um,
1: funny really yeah, he's he kind of a meanie so that not mm-hmm. actually having a pet oh. uh, busy being a, a drunk racist um was franklin pierce the one i was thinking about that had a kid who died as well yeah, his yeah. son died on the basically almost like right between election and inauguration he right. was a like a in a carriage accident
2: yeah he-
1: came into the office very depressed
2: do you think the mice made him feel better? Hope not. He was a jerk. I know, but I don't That's know. Every I, instruction
1: No, I feel bad. No, I hope the mice pooped in the flour and they made bread
3: with it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's I'll, what I think of Andrew Johnson. <laughs> Fair. <sighs> right, Top so... five worst presidents. <laughs>
0: All right, so one cycle left. So basically just three remaining questions. And if my scoring is right, it looks like Ariana and Muffy are exactly tied, um, Yeah. Including, including the tiebreaker. So we'll see what happens with these last three. First but the,
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, But we'll go with uh, Ariana and Muffy now to steal from Lynn. And I hope my research didn't fail me on this one. So I apologize if there are acceptable answers that I, I, could I missed. I should
1: have gotten a bugogi question. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Of the four great traditions historically in Chinese cuisine, representing the four points of the compass, one is Chuan or Sichuan. Another is Yue or Guangdong or Cantonese if you're old-fashioned. Give any commonly accepted term for either of the other two great traditions.
2: Uh. Cantonese... So two other it was Sichuan and Cantonese right. So there's two. So and the other two? I know that there's a dish called Hainan chicken. I don't know if Hainan or Hainanese is a category, or if that if that actually is Cantonese or Sichuan. Yeah.
1: Uh, Hainan I believe is like a coastal island. Okay. I think this is where yeah. my oof. <sighs> um Hainan. What's the next one over from Sichuan? It's a little spicier. There's nothing spicier.
2: Right. I mean, Szechuan <laughs> has, Szechuan has the Szechuan peppercorns, which are the numbing and spicy. Like Szechuan No, is... it was when I was it's in Chengdu spicy. and it was
1: another H um, I think, and it was like more like hot spicy than the numbing spicy kind of. Um It wasn't Hainan, it was Szechuan, and we had
2: Hun Ho- Hunan. No, Hunan? Maybe. Okay, hold on. Let's that's a possibility.
1: Hunan, um, Hainan. Style. What do we have? is there. szechuan is sort of west canton is sort of south what about north or east
2: we don't really have yeah there's oh there's like a whole there's like a yeah there's like a northern chinese cuisine there's xian like xian like that where the terracotta warriors
1: are i don't know what the region would be or like up where beijing is or
2: oh this is i'm gonna be embarrassed when i hear this and and Yeah, me too but it'll yeah. give me an excuse to go eat something delicious. Um, yeah, there's. Lynn, isn't there something that involves a lot of like potatoes? There's sort of a crossover. <laughs> like, like northern. Yes. she's Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> I'm <glad> I'm, <laughs> only i have got him. As
1: come. a misleading nod or oh. a leading nod.
2: Who knows? It could be. I don't know. Hunan could be. I, yeah, I, I don't. I don't like that one now
1: just because we need like a different region.
2: Yeah.
1: And I don't like Hainan either because that's, I think, southern. It's sort of warm and pleasant. Um. So we need a northern and an eastern. So like something like Beijing and something like Manchuria, which isn't really Chinese. That's not like the tradition. <laughs> right. uh, I would say something related to Beijing. Pekingese.
2: I mean, yeah. There's like Peking duck as a sort of an old school Yeah, hit, it's, still really yeah it's like the old school name. But like, right? But they, but could, that could just be sort of a racist old school. This is a Chinese thing. We'll give it a Chinese name. <sighs> Tell it to so, General Tso. Um. Right. I don't. I mean, I think you're. Right. Yeah. I just. I don't, South
1: says one. Sort of west. We need mm-hmm. a north
2: and an east. I. I don't know though. I don't know.
1: Let's be Peking, and then Lin sure. can get her. Lin can get it. Yeah. Hey, Peking.
0: All right, you're locking in Peking? Yeah. He's, yeah. <laughs> All right. Lynn probably knows more about this than I do, but that does not appear on, you know, any of the things that I found in my research. So uh, I'll pass it over to Lynn.
1: Actually, that's a really funny that uh, you guys mentioned the North because everyone jokes or people from Beijing think they can eat. But everyone else is like, <laughs> my mom is like, people in Beijing don't know how to eat. They don't make any good food. They can make mantou, <laughs> which is like the buns. They can make noodles and that's it. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so so nothing in the north, according to my mother. Uh, yeah, so my family is from Sichuan, so we are very proud that we are one of the four. And if I am wrong, then this is my uncle, who has said this multiple times, and he might have come up with his own formula, so I don't know if there's an official one. But he says the four regions of cooking in China are Sichuan, Guangdong, Shanghai, uh, Shanghai and I believe Hunan actually or he well that's according to my uncle the only four places in China that or the four places in China that know how to cook. So I'm going to say Shanghai. For one
0: of the others. Um, okay, so I feel, yeah, I feel bad now because I'm wading into a territory that, you know, is not my specialty. But um, I did find in many places the um, basically a similar list with very few variations. So I think it is kind of established what the list of the four great traditions are. And uh, in addition to the two I mentioned, the other ones listed are... So they're either called Lu and so if you use the shortened names like Chuan and Yue, the other two are Lu and Su. Or if you use the longer geographical names, in addition to Sichuan and Guangdong, they're um, either Jiangsu or Huaiyang and Shandong. Huh. Oh, I, mean, I don't know. I haven't heard of that. Shandong. Shandong. Oh, Is that? I'll,
1: accuse, called- my, I'll like- accuse my uncle of leading these yeah, led astray. Yeah, he Mariana's uncle liked Ferdinand the Bull. Your uncle <laughs> liked food. The lying, thieving uncles edition.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a, a much older, li- apparently nowadays, um, nowadays they're more often hear about kind of the eight modern regional cuisines, huh. which are Cantonese Sichuan, Anhui, Shandong, Fujian, Jiangsu, Hunan, and Hunan, yep. Zhejiang. Huh yeah
1: big place a lot of food very uh, big place yep lots of good food.
0: all right so just two questions remaining the next one lynn and Muffy, to steal from ariana and this uh again this was a somewhat experimental question so maybe it'll blow up in my face but we'll see Okay, so in searching through the list of classic children's novels, suddenly one jumped out at me because it featured the name of a historical site that I drive by every week. It's called Young Mac of Fort Vancouver by an author named Mary Jane Carr. So looking further into that author, I discovered something interesting. She is the original author of a poem called Pirate Wind that goes like this. The autumn winds a pirate, blustering in from sea. With a rollicking song, he sweeps along, swaggering boisterously. His skin is weather-beaten. He wears a yellow sash, with a handkerchief red about his head, and a bristling black mustache. He laughs as he storms the country, a loud laugh and a bold, and the trees all quake and shiver and shake as he robs them of their gold. The autumn winds a pirate, pillaging just for fun. He'll snatch your hat as quick as that, and laugh to see you run. So through a chain of events I confess to not quite understanding, in the 1970s, that poem was slightly <laughs> was slightly rewritten to sound more macho, retitled The Autumn Wind, and became the more or less official battle hymn for what Big Four sports franchise?
1: Ooh, The Autumn Wind. Uh, could you... Oh, I'll... I guess you'll post the, the pirate with big four sports franchise. Then so do, you, that are, could be do you want to see the
2: poem on Lynn? Would that help you? Like Yes, the poem.
1: Okay. Well, it must be, it's a pirate theme, right? Yeah. So it could be the Pittsburgh Pirates, but it was rewritten. Uh, In the pillages. 70s. Ooh, you know what I like? Maybe the Oakland Raiders. Um, pillaging just for fun swaggering boisterously or the autumn oh autumn we're the raiders at the time oh yeah let's see so the autumn is a pirate a pirate do we think it has to be geographical to i mean vancouver, no. vancouver washington so no maybe no Seattle, I think about, the, wind is, the wind is like a pirate and he's yeah. he's, he's, he's he's a tough guy yeah and then they change it around, so like you know, it's your your team. It's a metaphor, um, <laughs> the sports metaphor. Um, the more or less official battle hymn for what big four. So we've got all right. We got the Pittsburgh Pirates. We got the Oakland Raiders. We got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Those are all pirate guys. Autumn. Right. I don't know who's orange. Mm, Like autumn wind. Uh, I think it's more like he's who would have a pirate mask is what I'm thinking. Oh, it does mention his skin is weather beaten. He wears a yellow sash. He has a bristling black mustache. That could be the Pittsburgh Steelers black and yellow. Um, I kind of like, you know, I think I kind of like your Raiders thing, you know, although they're, you know, they're very pirate themed. They're very devoted fan base. Yeah, and you'd have a big song to sing to get riled up, perhaps. Although I feel like singing is more of a baseball tradition. <laughs> um, I don't know any. Let's go with the Raiders. That was your the first. The Oakland Raiders. Yeah. We'll say We'll lock in the Raiders.
0: Okay, locking in. you're locking in. you locking in the Raiders. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. I guess I didn't specifically say which current big four sports franchise because uh, they're actually called the Las Vegas Raiders. Ah yeah.
3: uh, yes. Uh,
0: yeah. But yeah, the when it was re rewritten a few yeah, the coloring was changed and, and the last verse became the autumn winds a raider instead of a pirate. Ah. Uh, uh,
3: uh, woohoo. Uh,
0: <laughs> wow. All right. They're you very puzzled-
1: enthusiastic about the pirate theme.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you you puzzled your way through that one.
3: Nice.
0: All right. And okay, the last question is <gasps> also a bit of a lateral thinking challenge. And this one I I was I was I came very close to replacing it uh, right before because it is, I'm really afraid that um, it's not going to work at all. But I guess I I have no choice but to... to, uh...
1: But to go forth like the autumn wind.
0: Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) My my voice is also fading all of a sudden for some reason. Is it (laughs)
3: COVID?
0: Yeah, you will look back on this one day and be like this is when they first noticed the first <laughs> symptoms <so. laughs> all right okay so for this one i mean i have a lot of you know friends who are really into crosswords and i know enough about sort of the the idea of cryptic crosswords to know that that's like a really specific technical term so this question is not technically about cryptic crosswords in the the technical sense of that but okay, so sales pitch? Question mark is a confusing, but not actually cryptic in the technical sense of the term, clue that crossword constructors have used to point solvers to which food item.
2: Wait, sorry, this is for me and, me and uh, Ariana Atlante. To steal from me. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I do crossword puzzles every day. Um. Sales pitch. Hmm.
1: Her themes were what were your topics again? US presidents,
0: animals and
1: english language and word oh um, yeah. this is
0: just a word puzzle it's not really yeah. related to a category deeper mm-hmm. than that just a pin peter a
2: collins fireball puzzle so pitch can mean like a pitch in baseball um i mean a question mark means that it's a pun clue or a or joke right, clue, right right yeah so it oh this is gonna be
1: that points to what food item sales ads is there a food item with ads marketing uh pitch to which food I... a pitch could also be a field that you play on a pitch Sir. could be um like pitch black um yeah which could be something you throw a pitch could be something you say that you're trying mm-hmm. to sell sales pitch to a food
0: item. And
2: so you guess you're saying that this clue appeared in that particular puzzle from 2015?
0: Yeah, I mean, it probably Uh, appeared in other puzzles as well.
2: Yeah.
0: uh, Yeah, it depends.
1: And it's not going to be a long, long one either. It has to be... Because if it's a crossword, it's, you know, at most, like, seven or eight letters, probably. No, I
2: mean, it can be 15. Like, yeah. you know, your biggest puzzles are 15 by 15. But usually, and sometimes the, mm-hmm. like, on a Sunday puzzle, your theme answers, the ones with question marks, are your long answers. But that doesn't, it could be anything, right? It could be yeah like, anywhere from a few letters to 15 letters.
1: Is there any food item that starts with the word, like, talk or mouth or something of the mouth, something of the
2: talk, chat? Um, or could it be something like a play on sale or saw like salt or sale? What else? Wow. Sales pitch. Or food item. I mean, coming
1: up. Is there some food with like, you know, like discount or like
3: um,
2: sell, the word sell? Yeah. I,
1: sell know,
3: by. Like sell-
2: the re, yeah, sell buys. Oh, yeah. like sell, sell by free. date, like to but that's not a food. I a food mean, like item. Yeah. To, to pitch means like to throw away, right? To talk, yeah. Like the day that you get rid of something. But I don't have a. I don't know. I don't have a foothold for this.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, this
2: is gonna be one where when he tells the answer, we're gonna be like,
1: Oh, oh. yeah. Be like, oh <laughs> <hard."> yeah. <laughs> Sell. Um, yeah. Sell by date is the best I got.
2: Uh-huh.
1: I don't know. Yeah,
2: I don't... A food item sounds like it's a... Yeah, a thing you like can consume. Like something you can eat, right? Like a, an apple, a...
0: Yeah. Oh, isn't sell-by-date a kind of date?
2: Well, sure. I mean, <laughs> I mean let's... We could certainly say, like, sell-by-date. But Twitch food... I mean, food item to me sounds like a... Sorry, sell that by was date. a joke. Yo, you're yeah. <laughs> fine. Let's, I mean, let's. I think Lynn, let's go with that. But I don't think that's. I it. know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Sell by date.
0: Locking it in. Um, yeah. All right. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't mean to imply that was an actual kind of date. No. no um, it's fine. <laughs> although that is like a. I want. It, I want to find a way to work that pun into something now. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> so right.
1: I'm having two. So sales pitch, like question mark, like sales pitch. So I have two thoughts. I don't know. I mean, they're both a guess. One is soup because of the old children's TV host Soupy Sales. I don't know it has two vowels it's a good crossword word (laughs) my other thought is peanuts because they throw them to you at the ballpark when you or you know when you get them they throw the peanuts you know to you because you're like hey hey and then you pass the money down and they throw them um I'm just gonna say peanuts and I will be done with it
0: all right so you know one thing I'd like to point out often is that part of the reason I like having people discuss things out loud is that during their discussion they will even if they end up not getting the right answer during the discussion they will say things things that indicate that they had they had the right the right kinds of thoughts at various times (laughs) sorry um so you know lynn for instance was starting to think about alternative meanings of the word pitch and Muffy thought about different versions of sales in particular sales not as an adjective or even a noun but as a proper noun with the capital s And so, for instance, another meaning of pitch, right? It can be a verb. It can mean to throw something. Another meaning of sales, like you said, could be Soupy Sales, the children's television host. Which food item was Soupy Sales known for throwing?
1: Oh, what did he throw? Pie. Pies. Oh. Uh, I don't know who Soupy Sales is. Would never oh! have got there. He was, It was like yeah. was the black and white era of children's television. Yeah, and he was like Sweet, this goofy. Oh, know, I was so close. you were I wanted, so I, I want to throw a pie on my own face. Oh. <laughs> and then I've got my pink napkin to wipe it off.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's clever. That is nice. Nice. Hard to solve crossword clues without a number of spaces. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's good alright I was terrified that would be just totally opaque no one would get anywhere close to it and I would look like I just designed an impossible question but no you're actually <laughs> all kind of really close um, you, you had exactly the right kinds of stuff yeah.
3: we have right. good yeah.
1: lots guys yeah. 2 piece sales was famous for one time apparently telling all the children watching his Saturday morning program to go upstairs and take all the pictures of the presidents out of mommy and daddy's wallets and send them to him yep <laughs> he got like thousands of dollars so oh it yeah,
3: is
0: so funny. yeah. So I've like, heard that story before. I think it might be a bit of an urban legend, but um.
1: yeah, it's a it's a good one. The other one I think it yeah. is true is there was he had like a puppet named Fang and yeah
2: yeah Fang. My dad claims he saw the episode with the go get all the pictures of the presidents and send it, but I don't think that that's true. It's a good story. It's a good story. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: All right. So that Raiders question actually did break the tie. So even though. Um, <laughs> Yeah, even though Lynn uh, ends up in third place, her Raiders knowledge did make the difference. So uh, we end with Lynn at 32.0, Ardeana at 37.1, and Muffy at 43.1.
3: Wow, uh, <laughs> oh,
1: Muffy! Yay! <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well done. All
0: right, so it, thief. <laughs> basically one question margin between each of those places. So um, very close game.
1: Oh, happy gosh. to, i uh, happy to come in third to Muffy. Happy to be your Sabbath boy any day of the week.
2: <laughs> oh, thank uh-huh. you, <laughs> Muffy. You're my Honeycrisp.
1: Hi, <laughs> <laughs> hold on. I'm gonna look back at my notes. Uh,
2: <laughs> bye, Felicia. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, you're supposed to say we're outie now. Yeah, yes. You're outie. You're a bunch of fruit baskets. No, no, no. You're my stolen. Key For the code. outro of this episode, you have to play Please, Mr. Postman. Mm-hmm.
0: So we the, um, <laughs> or please, there's no song called Please, Mr. Henshaw. <laughs>
3: Oh, okay really so fun. yeah
0: yeah though, this was our uh, 13th episode but the first one with all female contestants Woo! not that yeah I, I wish it had come earlier but there it is again yeah, we did finish the session on time and everything so you know before we leave if we just um basically everyone can make one closing statement it can be about anything they want about the game about the world at large about any combination of those things as long as it's not too long or too offensive it'll be kept in and we'll go in reverse order of scoring it's the lowest scoring player will have the last word so we'll uh start with Muffy
1: uh I'm uh, uh, Muffy here I just want to savor this victory uh <laughs>
3: and just say uh,
1: I'm hoping everybody is listening to this in a more cheerful outside of the house kind of time than we are recording this in and I would also like to remind you however if you are stuck in the house that starting April 6th on Game Show Network you can see me hey. in a new program called masterminds and see what other stuff I know
2: Whoa. anyway everybody be well I want to thank you guys for a great game. This was super fun and always fun to play with other lady trivia experts, triviatrices as we like to call them. Um, And a good reminder that baking is always an excellent indoor activity. If you find yourself stuck at home, um, get a good chocolate chip cookie recipe, get a good banana bread recipe, and bake your stress away. And I would also like to remind everyone to tune in on April 6th to watch me on Masterminds along with Muffy and see what we know in the trivia world.
1: Hooray! Everyone watch both. Both Ariana and Muffy
2: on Game Show Network.
1: uh thank you so much Yogesh for hosting and writing you always write fantastic questions and if I had the funds I would just hire you to be a full-time writer for me um but speaking of that if you are still in quarantine era I run a trivia company called Trivia LA with my business partner Chris O'Brien we're based out of Los Angeles and right now during the quarantine era we are doing trivia live streams on Facebook so come tune in and play those and support us and um, Uh, I assure you that our trivia live streams, the degree of difficulty is much less than what you hear on this podcast. So (laughs) you will not walk away with no points. You will walk away with points. Um, And uh, what else do I have to say? Oh, uh, go ant eaters. (laughs) You see our vine reference.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're not the banana slugs. That's a different UC school (laughs) All right.
2: Not um,
0: either. <laughs> I'm not sure which school is the higher axis. Yeah, maybe
2: the University of Jerusalem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I no, that's who knows. If I'm right, I'll eat my matza. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. This has been episode 13 of Recreational Thinking with Yoga Shrout. Thanks for
3: listening.